0: Hi, I'm Ben. And I'm Josh. And this is the Bad at Magic podcast, a podcast about games, life, and other things, and welcome to episode 93.
1: So, Ben, I'm, unfortunately, I'm going to bring us down. i want to kick off the podcast with a somber note. Okay. Where were you on
0: 9-11? I was in class in college. How about you?
1: Same, but I was in class at a military college.
0: Ooh, yeah, so your day went a lot differently than mine.
1: It was a little different, yes. Uh, especially being told that I need to go change into my battle uniform and then close my curtains and then not be in crowded rooms with more than like five other people at a time. Like a bunch of weird, like force protection stuff came down on us yeah. that I've never heard of.
0: So this might be revisionist thinking of me to to think. I don't know. We all have this kind of self centered thing. Like, well, if if. I remember people saying these kinds of things on September 11th, if they can hit those buildings then everything's in danger. No, not really. Like Well, but it, it is,
1: but it's a matter of uh, uh, I don't know, opportunity cost. Like Yeah, everything could be a target, but it's like what are they actually going to hit? You just don't know.
0: Right? And so because everything there was that just that moment of uncertainty where it felt like everything was a possibility then you know we just everything went to 11. So all the military installations went on full alert and they canceled every flight and all those kinds of things.
1: I remember being posted at one of the hallways um, for a couple of days whenever I didn't have class. Posted I just sit- like a guard? Yeah I had to sit in a chair and check everybody's ID even though they had their ID checked when they entered the base when they entered the building and then like no kidding, fifty yards away where the other i d checker guy was,
0: yeah, s- zero trust then that's that's the the concept is somehow just... someone got on got past four lines of security and is now wandering around freely and i and it's up to you to stop them, Josh,
1: well, I got on a plane like at a commercial airport a couple of months before nine eleven to go to Colorado to go to that military school, and I remember. Just There was no security. Do you remember security? You went through, like, the world's worst metal detector and a quick pat-down, and then, like, anybody could walk to a, a terminal
0: Maybe gate. a pat-down. Probably not. And you could go all the way to the gate. Yep. I, my whole family was there at the gate of the airplane,
1: which, I mean, that just doesn't happen anymore. No. But anyway, I, um, how to tie, <laughs> tie this back into 93.
0: Well, I know where the 93 is coming in here.
1: Yes. Um, it's really hard to argue. Like, a lot of crazy things happened that day but amongst those was the the frankly amazing story of what happened on united flight 93 yeah where passengers realized or discovered what was happening decided to fight back and ultimately ended up giving their lives to stop further damage from happening
0: yeah wow it's amazing to realize that you're on a human guided missile and and be like, no, that's not happening today.
1: And uh, there's there was 44 passengers and crew on that plane. Like, did did everybody sign up for that? Did um, did everybody realize what they were getting into? Like, there's there's so much human drama that must have played out in that contained space. Like, did they have a big meeting first? Did everybody discuss and know the ramifications of what was happening, or was this just a handful of of oohra go getters that ended up, like, like to making the decision for the whole group? I just, I can, I can't imagine what played out on that thing.
0: How many people did you say were on the plane?
1: Uh, Wikipedia is telling me there was forty four passengers and crew. All
0: right, Josh. So there's some there's a story I got carried away as I was recounting my experience of Mardi Gras here in Louisiana and there's a story that I forgot to relate to you. This is a story of my personal insecurities. So I'm 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 just going to dive in headlong.
1: I love these. These are my favorite stories that you tell because like you make yourself so vulnerable and I get to take such advantage of you.
0: Yeah, that's going to happen. Okay, so the way that the city of Shreveport is shaped is there's a, the Red River that goes right through the center of town and it winds in a giant S as it goes through town. And on the east side of the river is Bossier City in one county and on the west side of the river is Shreveport in another county. And because of that, you know, there, there's choke points at like five main bridges that cross back and forth across the Red River. And that causes for some interesting geography for the parade route. Because the parade route comes down along the river and then cuts back towards the city and then goes back south again only because of the way the river bends. Well, what happens is that causes the parade route to be shaped kind of like a Z, a back, Yeah, kind of like a Z. And so on that day, I was going to go to my friend's house. And unfortunately, he lives inside of the Z. Somewhere along the parade route. Right. But where... To the east is the river, and to the west is the bend of the parade route, and he's inside of it.
1: Oh, I see. So you were worried about, what, logistics, the flow of traffic? Like, they shut down these major arteries they on the other side of the They shut down the
0: arteries. So I was trying to get okay. to his house, and I was trying to get across the parade route to get to his house, and I had, like, three failed attempts where they were closed down roads. Oh, you gave him more than three attempts? Well, uh, well, okay, I was on my third attempt, where I I thought this way would be open, and it wasn't, and I thought another way would be open, and I thought another way would be open, and I was trying to follow my GPS, which was, I think, kind of aware of the closure, but it was still giving me invalid routes. Okay. So we came up, finally, where I'd come across a residential street, and then the road was closed in front of me. The parade wasn't supposed to start for two full hours, and I could see, it was like a quarter mile to his house, and... There was a cop car parked there, and I was at the dead end on a residential street where there's cars parked along both sides all the way down the street. So it's really tight. Like, this is not a wide road. Okay. And I finally get to the end of the street. My car's loaded with my wife and all my kids and my stuff, and the parade's going to be kicking off soon. It's broad daylight. The parade doesn't start till like, twilight. And there's one, like, plywood police barrier, two plywood police barriers with a gap almost car size in front of me.
1: Tell me, tell me you did not ask the police officer to make an exception to public, like, flow control
0: policy for you and your minivan. It's it's way worse than that. (laughs) So I can see the other side and I'm thinking, okay, first of all, if I don't, if I make it across the street, it's like, Two minutes and I'm there and everything's done. If I don't, first of all, I have to figure out how to turn around on the street I'm on. Then there's absolute gridlock behind me where everyone's trying to find a parking space and get to the parade. And it's just going to be a nightmare. So I look left and I don't see the police officer. I look right and I don't see the police officer. I don't tell anyone in my car what I'm doing. And I get out and I move the barriers.
1: Uh (laughs) Oh. Just... You okay? I'm gonna let you finish the story, and then we're gonna talk so, about something else. There's
0: a there's a main artery in front of me, but there's no one on it. There's no cars coming. There's no people there. There was just these these barriers in my way. Yeah, so I moved the like barriers. police barriers, like like police physical they're, manifestations they're, they're more, yeah, yes. of the law. I, yeah, Josh, we've established that you're more lawful than I am. This is a good this is a good case study. So I move the police barriers and I turn around to get back in my car. And my wife's sitting there horrified and standing right behind me is a police officer with his hand on his service revolver.
1: <laughs> yeah, because we are just talking about 9 He has no idea what you're doing. <laughs> what are you doing, Ben? You got this loaded down minivan, obviously full of something. Who knows what's in there? You could be up to nefarious, no good acts.
0: And so then the lecture kicks in. He, he, he sizes me up real fast and probably from past experience on Marty Gras parades, stratifies me in the rank of, like, trouble.
1: Uh, of irritating enough. Like, I need to put down this guy hard enough that he's not going to be a problem later on the rest of the day.
0: Yes, but also, like, of all the things I'm going to see today, this is on the low end of the spectrum, so I don't need to go whole hog.
1: Like, yeah, he's not going to arrest you or, like, throw you in a paddy wagon.
0: Right, exactly. So I turn around, he's right there. And he's he's just... He's irritated with me like, I'm. you know,
1: (laughs) yeah, I guess this guy is probably his day off. He's probably volunteering his time out there for the thing. He got up super early to get out there and protect these two barriers. And here comes Mr. Ben Rich like, well, I need to get across the street.
0: So so bless this guy, Officer Krupke, whatever his name is, that for, you know, him upholding the law for closing this main artery two hours early. where it, it turned my friend's house into an island that I couldn't get to. I'd have tased you. Like if
1: I was the cop, I'd have tased you. 100%. Okay,
0: Josh, I wish that... Honestly, I wish this story had taken that turn. That my wife and kids all sitting in the car with, the, with no notice whatsoever got to watch me get tased right in front of them. <laughs> like they'd had a front row seat sitting there in the minivan watching me get tased. <laughs> that would have been hilarious. So he... I can see the emotions going over his face where he goes from highest escalation and I don't return in kind and then he takes it down a notch and then he takes it down another notch where he's just kind of giving me like a life lesson. And then he, he, de- he decides to impart words of wisdom on me that are kind of words of wisdom that someone thinks are wise in the moment that is probably the stupidest thing he said that day. Oh, jeez,
1: Be nice, Ben. He's just doing his <laughs> job. What, 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 what pearls of wisdom did he drop on you? It was like cast a ne-
0: never move a police barrier out of the way so you can cross the street. I'd be like, yeah, thanks, Officer Krupke. I'll never do that ever again because this situation's never going to come up again in my whole freaking life. Uh, you, you, I, well, I you thought about be. trying to explain it to him and, like you said, beg for him to just let me cross the freaking street because I didn't know how to get to my friend's house and 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 I'm just stuck.
1: Did did you did you just beg him or did you just did you then help him put the barriers back, get into your minivan, and then just ran them over?
0: <laughs> I decided to just utterly and completely capitulate. Yes, I'm sorry. That was a very stupid thing of me to do. Uh, yes, officer, thank you. You know, and I got back in the car and my wife was still hiding her face in her, you know, like face palm.
1: Okay, hang hang on. Hang on. I really want to focus on your word choice there. I decided to utterly capitulate. Hang on a second. You mean you decided to follow the lawful orders? Of the law enforcement official that was there giving you specific instructions? Like, you decided to obey the law. That's not capitulating. That is doing what you are supposed to do per the social contract as a citizen of this nation, sir.
0: He had equal power to prevent me on principle of the fact that I was doing something that was annoying to him or to move the barriers out of the way and let me cross the street. He, He had equal power to do either of those two things. I suppose she, she, in, there's in the, a universe what? in which I could have talked him into allowing me to cross. In all right, in this. I get that this is, is incomprehensible to someone that thinks something like putting down a plywood barrier when there's no traffic going by and no no impact of public safety to let me go.
1: No, no, no. This is this is you thinking you're special. Ben, you're not special. You're just one more random like jerk that this guy has to deal with all day. He has right. one job. That, His job that's is the to
0: capitulation part. Main, like, it, I, capitulation. I could have tried to tell him why I'm special, but ultimately I decided not to. Every but, but I, that's the
1: thing, I, Ben. Nobody's special. Nobody. You you don't like. I don't care what you're going to say next. No, nothing
0: about anybody has ever done is special. Because everybody has their, everybody's a star of their own life. I don't think you think that's true. I mean, everybody has the, you can imagine the scenario of like a cop pulling over a guy for speeding and he points to his wife in the backseat in labor. And instead of getting a ticket, he gets an escort. Like this kind of thing happens all the time. It's just my emergency was very low on the, on the scale. I was just having a mental problem.
1: All right. All right. I will back off of the absolute that I use because only Sith use absolutes. Uh, Alas, <laughs> there are circumstances under which this person could overwrite his normal operating procedures. Yes. Yours came nowhere near. Right. Like, right I got that. To the level of warranting. And, it. and
0: I could have tried, but I decided not to even try. It, I, I was just really having a problem where like, it's right, you know, it's right there. I can see it. I can almost get there, but I can't. And. And I was really anxious about trying to turn the car around on this narrow street and go back the other way and then, you know, get even farther from my destination and not be any closer. And now even more gridlock was starting to form as the time of the event was approaching. So (laughs) that all of that creeping inevitability was what drove me to do something a, a little bit out, you know, risky to try to move the police barriers. So I got back in the car, and I was feeling really glad that he didn't escalate, uh, and my wife was embarrassed, and my kids were shocked. And Yeah, so what, kind I, of,
1: what kind of example are you setting to your kids? Like, oh, <laughs> kids, you
0: should listen to police officers when it's convenient.
1: The rest of the time, if you've got a good excuse, ah, they're just in the way.
0: Yes, we've. Yes, that's, that's the way I approach life. So I turned the car around, and he was you know, standing there with his hands on his hips after he'd moved the police barrier back, kind of tapping his foot, waiting for me to go away. And I go back into gridlock, and you know, it's the kind of thing where two cars are coming at each other down a street, and neither can go to the left or right, and, and now how do you get past?
1: <laughs> I love that you're building up this, like the fact that you were minorly inconvenienced because you couldn't break the law. I like majorly
0: in inconvenience. But yes. So, <laughs> I, I, you know, we got stuck for another 20 minutes and I finally just parked on the side of the road in front of someone's house uh, down and we ended up walking a mile to get to where we we're going. And we had to basically walk across a parade route, which you can do freely uh, past police barriers without any conflict uh, when the parade's not going.
1: I, I you're bringing, I like that you're bringing up that point as if it's like supporting your position where, well, if people can cross the streets, then cars should be able to cross the street too. Why are we shutting down the road at all? Let's let the parade just go through normal like uh, rush hour traffic at the end of the day and stop at the stoplights. So It'll give them more opportunity to dance and throw stuff at the people on the sidewalk.
0: Yeah, and, and the slippery slope argument you just made is a good one, Josh. You know, If we allow any exceptions, then we have to allow them all so we can't allow any. I get that.
1: But you can't say that I get that except I should have gotten special treatment. Like those are two – like the juxtaposition of the two, they don't coincide.
0: I wasn't expecting special treatment the whole side, the whole time. I didn't approach there. I I got to there, looked around, didn't see anyone. There was no one in the way. There was nothing. If if I could have made it 10 seconds across that road, then it would have all been behind me, no harm, no foul, everything done. I would have even put the police barrier back.
1: Okay. So – that, that's a, that's a funny story. I'm glad you didn't get tased
0: amongst all of this. Uh, <laughs> I don't I'm, know. I'm glad Maybe you're... this would be a better story if I had.
1: <laughs> I I hope your kids have a more of a, an appreciation for like law enforcement. <laughs> having I wonder to... what
0: they all took away from it. Uh, I bet uh... they took. I bet the same as our listeners are taking different things away from this right now, my kids all did. I know because I know their personalities. Like my son, I bet he was like, that was the worst thing I've ever seen. I can't believe my dad also almost got arrested. I'm never doing anything even remotely close to that. My daughter, on the other hand, was probably like, yeah, dad, stick it to the man.
1: Okay. Well, we, we've established on the podcast that you live in some alternate reality where you have 38 hours in a day where everyone else has to deal with the 24 so I'm going to challenge you to interview each of your children individually to see what they <laughs> what, what what they actually thought about that experience, and then also at the, at the end of that, once they have all given you their individual opinion and confidence, bring it up in a group setting and and talk it out because I want to see what the what the <clears throat> consensus lands on.
0: Interesting. Yeah, we ha- we definitely haven't had that discussion.
1: All right. Now before we move on from this topic, this is just one more prime example of how you sir uh, I, it doesn't matter how many times I try to talk to you about it like you you won't get through your head the difference between chaotic and lawful versus good and evil those are two different like like axes right and and you are so chaotic it 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 blows my mind because <laughs> you, there's you're undeniably good you're a good person you're trying to do like just trying to maximize everybody's utility in the universe yeah, you're a good person but ben you just don't think the the rules apply to you. Like, it's like, oh, well, you know, there are rules, and rules are important, unless I'm going to do good by breaking the rules, in which case these rules are just getting in the way of me doing good, and that makes them stupid.
0: Yeah, and that's what I was pointing out, that that of the people listening, they don't all necessarily agree with you or me. And some people are listening and thinking what I said made a lot of sense while you were telling me that it didn't, and vice versa. Right, but, like, like
1: I just – I'm just using this as an example. I don't want to get back yeah. into the anecdote, but like this is such a, a, a an excellent like a tent pole argument to show like this is Ben Rich's personality. Where yeah, he's a good person, but man, like rules are, eh, you know, rules are whatever depends on yeah. the situation.
0: No, you're right. Uh, I don't know where that came from. All right. Well, speaking of rules, uh, we. Here in the United States of America, pay taxes on a annual schedule, and that's kind of <laughs> you, throwing okay. some chaos in your life right now,
1: man. Like, like you got halfway through the sentence and already had something wrong about it. So, <laughs> go ahead. Everybody thinks that it's like, oh, we pay taxes once a year. Actually, to be technically correct, Ben, which is the, the best the kind best of kind correct. correct, yes, you are supposed to have paid taxes on your income throughout the year. Like, you're supposed to the the your tax return that you give to the IRS is not doing the math, it is a reconciliation. It is the IRS double checking and making sure that you've already paid what you're supposed to. In fact, if you owe too much tax on your tax return, you get additional fees and penalties for not having made more tax payments throughout the year. This is uh, usually a bigger problem with self-employed individuals because You and I, we have a W-2 paycheck, like we get paid on a regular basis, and your employer is nice enough to withhold a portion of that and forward it to the federal government on your behalf for your income tax. If you're self-employed, you don't have that. You are supposed to make quarterly estimated tax payments. You're supposed to go to the IRS website and say, hey, I think I'm going to owe about this much in tax and send them money every quarter. And if you don't, you get penalized at the end of the
0: year. Wait, you're blowing my mind right now because I didn't know that one thing you said. What's the threshold for the percentage
1: of uh,
0: if they penalize you for not paying them enough along the way?
1: This is something that both of my certifications require me to know off the top of my head. And I don't because I refuse (laughs) to memorize things that change on a frequent basis that I can look up. So this is honestly if I had a client sitting at my desk and they asked me the same question, I would Google it at that moment. And just just go with that.
0: Okay, so I want to I want to say something here that that's again chaotic and leans towards libertarian, but like if there is a singular deadline in the year where I have to give the where I have to have given the government all of the money, any moment before that that I give it to them is niceness on my part, not niceness on their part.
1: And if you overpay your taxes on an estimated tax payment and they have, end up sending you a refund, you will also be paid interest by the government based on the money the fact that they had it for longer than they should have.
0: Since when did they pay interest?
1: They, the IRS pays interest on big refunds. I promise you. Like I have. Uh, okay,
0: so there's also a threshold. Like if I'm just if I'm just a person <laughs> getting a reasonable amount of tax are, back, I just gave the government a, a, an interest-free loan.
1: You can look at it that way, or you can look at it as a savings account. Because if that money had been in your account, you probably
0: would have spent it. A, a zero interest savings account. No, 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 no. Don't give me that. Probably would have spent it. Crap. That's bull crap. That's 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 the man talking. You're becoming the man. Here.
1: I, I, I'm I'm not. Beco- all right. Well, I can't argue with that.
0: <laughs>
1: but, all right. All right. All right. All, let's take all of the all moral right, so you were, arguments. You were correcting one
0: thing I said, which is that we pay taxes one year. OK, sorry. I was incorrect about that. But what's going on with you right now?
1: All right, so for those of you who don't know, I am an accountant. I don't know if I've mentioned that before in the podcast. <laughs> Big fan of numbers and rules. Seems like accounting is where I should be. But um, in the U.S., the annual tax return, reconciling your, your taxes for the previous calendar year, are due on April 15th for personal, uh, for individual taxpayers, and on March 15th for businesses. And so typically in my career field, January 1st until April 15th is called tax season, with air quotes, and your life is just going to suck for those, you know, three and a half months.
0: It creates an unbalanced annual workload on our accountants.
1: I've actually done the math, and I've shown my employer, who makes all the manpower and the hiring decisions, because she, she would talk about like, oh, well, we really need, like tax season was hard, we need to get another personal tax person. I'm like, um, no, and then I'd show her a bar chart of the hours that we accrued in the office, like... If you hired a full-time year-round personal tax person, three-quarters out of the year, they would have nothing to do.
0: Right. And it's just— You need a seasonal employee.
1: Right. But it's hard to get a seasonal employee that also has high levels of technical expertise.
0: An an accountancy-qualified person to only be hired during tax season. Do you
1: know how many times this year, Ben, I've been solicited by Intuit TurboTax to be one of their live uh, video face chat EA people?
0: Have you done the math on it? Is it beneficial to you?
1: I don't want to work that much. I don't I don't want to work at all, ever, Ben. Why would I trade right. more <laughs> so, of my time?
0: What are they trying to get you, like, in the, in weekends and evenings when people are actually doing, want to do their taxes? Basically, yeah.
1: The thing that yeah. they pitch me with is, like, come in, click the button that says you're available, and sit there, and then if a call pops up, answer the questions as best as you can, and when the call is over, you hang up, and then you, when whenever you feel like logging off, click unavailable, and whatever time that you're on, we will pay you for it.
0: Wow, so I just did my taxes with TurboTaxes, and all those on-screen prompts where they're giving you promising access to a certified tax professional is just kind of this vague Uber-like agreement. Yeah,
1: oh, it's a very gig economy approach too. well. And I'm a I'm an enrolled agent, and you can go on the internet like it's public knowledge who is an enrolled agent, and you can look up names, addresses, phone numbers right. of everyone in the country that is an enrolled agent.
0: Yeah, but th- yeah, I get it. So you're you're kind of a vetted employee, but they're just taking the word for it, kind of like, well, he's got a driver's license, he can you know take people from point A to point B.
1: I'm going to pretend that you didn't compare my enrolled agent <laughs> certification to a driver's license. No, you
0: aren't. You're going to talk about it for two minutes.
1: <laughs> I, I, so uh, all right, I will say because this is this is one interesting thing about my enrolled agents. Like if you've never heard of it, becoming an enrolled agent is is super easy. You just have to take three standardized tests that are issued by the IRS. And if you pass all three tests, verily, you are an enrolled agent and you have all of these privileges and extra things that you can do uh, before the IRS for taxpayers. Okay. Got it. Here's the thing. They're incredibly complicated. Like I spent
0: money and I got, yeah,
1: um, this is when I was uh, transitioning. This is from, not
0: becoming a notary public.
1: No, no, this is, they're not easy tests, but it was something that I could do without any education requirement. And so when I was trying to break into accounting, I was like, I need something to demonstrate that one, I can do this. And two, that I'm a good learner. And this seemed like a great opportunity. I'm like, oh, it's a test. I'm good at tests. I'll just memorize all the material, take and pass all the tests, and then use that as a demonstration of, yeah, I know I have zero background in accountancy for my entire adult life, but I took a test with something I have zero background in and passed it that everyone says is really hard.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And All right, you, you you used the term a minute ago. You called it gig economy. Uh, I think I know what that means, but will you explain it?
1: Oh, so that's that's actually a buzzword. I I don't know if the IRS coined it, but the IRS uses it for it, this this I'm not going to say new generation, but it seemed like the internet has has made it possible that you don't have to have a standard like day-to-day 9 to 5 job. There are people that just have multiple gigs that they stack together, and they they oh
0: call gig that, like a like a band getting a place to play and get paid right like
1: that. If you okay. if you like oh so a couple days a week I'll drive for Uber, a couple days a week I'll do gig DoorDash.
0: like a, a, an increment of data.
1: <laughs> well, there's all these websites now that like just want your labor. Like uh, there's there's going there's a bunch of like Fiverr is one. No,
0: no I get it. So so you can like commission out if you're an artist, you can commission art. If you're a music teacher, you can commission private lessons. If you're a driver, you can commission your your driving skills in your car. If you if you have a house, you can commission your house.
1: Yeah, exactly. If you have a spare bedroom, you can load it out on Airbnb. If yeah. you only work four days a week, but you want something to do on the fifth day, you can drive for DoorDash. Like that's – those are all gigs that you can have, and that's – they call it the gig economy. Okay. Because – okay. I well, now the, I know what that means. Well, the IRS is, is big on it because it's like, oh, how do we capture? This is income these people are earning. We need to tax it.
0: Yeah. Well, so the thing about that is – like you were mentioning how they're comp- – You are in demand. You have a skill set that's in demand, but you have met your, I don't know, economic needs for supporting your family, and you don't want to sacrifice any more percentage of your personal time. Because, of course, if you're working a third or second or third job, you're not getting overtime or anything like that. It's just a gig.
1: Right. It's just extra money, however much that is. However, if you're willing to trade your whatever extra time you have to yourself for that money, then sure, knock it out. Go for it. I'm I'm at that point in my life where I want as much as my time as I can keep.
0: Right. Okay. So now you're in tax season, which is taking more (laughs) of your time than usually give. So how do you, where do you take that from?
1: So (laughs) um, in our, in our firm, other firms work seven days a week during tax season, but we don't do that. We work six days a week. My, my boss has said that the standard during tax season from January 1st until April 15th is 48 hour weeks instead of 40.
0: Okay, and so she, one extra work day a week.
1: Yes, so and she lets us flex our time. Uh, is there are set times that we have so to you be? You can work
0: nine hours a day, five days, and then three on Saturday or something like that.
1: Yes, and that's exactly right. We have set available hours, like Monday through Friday. You will be, you know, at work, so to speak, from this time to this time. If you want to work extra on those days, you can, and that counts on the time that you would have to work on Saturday, and then if you like. If you want to cram in, you know, 10-hour days all week, she doesn't care. You don't have to work at all on Saturday. That's not her her thing. She just wants to make sure that there's enough time to get the work done.
0: Right. Billable hours.
1: Essentially. It's not even just billable hours. It's just here's here's all the stuff you have to do. Man, January was terrible. January was so bad.
0: (laughs) Okay. So I think... This is more like a, a factor of how far you deviate from your usual experience. So you you already started going to this term of in evaluation. Like you look at January in terms of how did it compare to December or February. Well, you're and- right. And
1: th- just th- let, me, let me lay it out for you. Just think about this. Like my normal, like a normal month, just any normal random month out of the year, uh, we have re- – what I do all the business clients. And so I have recurring business clients that come in. And I have their monthly projects that I need to do. I need to go in their accounts. I need to do all of their, their accounting essentially for the month. That's my normal workload. That's what I consider my normal workload. And then on top of that, anybody that comes in with business questions or anybody needs to like have consulting on different business topics, I also need to be available for them for that.
0: So there's so, the static tasks and the pop-up tasks yeah, that's related the, to business right. accounting.
1: And that's what I consider a normal month. Well, then okay. also we have quarterly clients so that only want their stuff done once a quarter. And so every quarterly month, which is – I'm not going to rattle them off because I'll mess, mess it up on the thing. But after every quarterly month, December being the end of a, a fourth quarter, so the month after being January, you have to do all the quarterly tasks. Okay, so we okay. have our normal static, and then we have our quarterly clients that come in too. Oh, but then it's also a calendar quarter again. So all of our payroll clients need all of their payroll tax returns done. So if you if you have employees that you pay through W-2, you as the employer are you know collecting tax on their behalf. You need to report and remit that tax to the government on a separate payroll tax return. And in Arizona, there's two other organizations that want a piece of that. There's the State of Arizona Department of Revenue for uh, the income tax that's being withheld, and also the Arizona Department of Economic Security for the unemployment tax for the state. So okay. then, so it's a quarterly month, so then we have the quarterly reports that have to be done for the payroll and do the taxes and send those off. Oh, but wait, it's also the annual, so it's the end of the year. So then we have to do the annual payroll reports, which is three extra reports that have to get sent in, one for federal unemployment, and then also the W-2s that need to go out. And then the state has a reconciliation for the end of the year. Oh, and then it's, a, it's the beginning of tax season. So we also need to send out you know, all of the information to all of our business clients like, hey, we need to get all your stuff. This is the stuff that we need to get your taxes and things rolling. So yes, if you're talking about the workload, January is far and away, I think it has 40 or 50% more work than any other month of the year.
0: Okay, I'm envisioning this thing that happens in nature uh, with locusts. Are, are you familiar with this? Where there's, like, locusts that come that go into hibernation underground and come out every five years, and there's locusts that come out every seven years, and locusts that come out every nine years. Are you years. talking about cicadas? Yes, cicadas. And then, like, every, uh, I don't know, 47 years... All of those line up at once, and there's just this horde that comes out and consumes everything. And that's what's happening to your personal time. Everything lines up in January, and it just consumes all of your free time. Yes. Oh, I didn't even okay, talk so what, about the other. What, what kind of psychological toll does that take on on a poor overtext, all right, so, uh, pun intended?
1: <laughs> I, I pride account. myself on getting all of my work done on time, okay? So I, we have a task list in our in our client management system that shows these are all the open projects that are going on. On a normal month, that's like 40 or 50 tasks that I need to complete. And in January, I think I peaked at like 300 and something tasks that were open on my list. And so it – like first of all, it's stressful because every – Holy
0: crap, Josh. If I had a checklist <laughs> open with 300 items on it, that would make me feel stressed just to know it existed.
1: Oh, it's not. But this is the thing. It's not a checklist. Those three hundred, Each of those 300 items has multiple steps that need to be completed. And this is what was really starting to, to weigh on me, not the, not the list itself, because like every, it's like eating an elephant, right? How do you eat the elephant? One bite at a time. So I just grab a task and I start working it. What, what's frustrating and what, what made it so stressful this, this past year especially was I'm working through one of those tasks and the whole time I'm just in desperation panic mode. Like I've got so much to do, I just need to get this done. And I get to a point where I have to ask the client a question. Or I don't have all the information that I need to complete this task. And I've got to farm it out to somebody else. And then it just sits on my list. Like I have to send off the question or make the phone call or tell the person to do something. The ones
0: you can't. That are out of your control but are still on your list. Right.
1: I can't close it. It goes back on my list. And then every cup, and then it, so the list doesn't ever get smaller. It just changes like where it's at. <laughs> and so then every time I open the list, I've got to comb through everything like, okay, I can't work on this because I'm waiting on this. I can't work on this because I'm waiting on this. Wait a minute. It's been three weeks. Why is this still open? And then I have to look at that for five minutes, be like, oh, right, I'm still waiting for this other thing. Wait, didn't they email me? And then I just go down this rabbit hole to the point where. It's 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 paralyzing like I open this task list I'm like there is so much here to do that I I can't even like wrap my brain around what I'm supposed to be doing right now.
0: Yeah. So if you remove the element of there being this annual surge where all of this kind of comes to a head. Um, And my job is also kind of an annually driven thing in that I am the chief of the budget for the cyber planning for eight Air Force bases. So we have an annual cycle where we like get our money or we have deadlines for when we have to submit our plan for what we're going to do for the next year's money and stuff like that. And what you described, I feel like I have the same version of that. Where right, they, you know, there's all these tasks piling on and there's certain ones that I have control over and ones that I don't where I'm just waiting on other people. And because I've done my action, it's now off of my plate, it, but it doesn't go away because it's technically not done until someone else does the thing they have to do. Yeah,
1: you're still responsible for it. You're just waiting on some other Yahoo to get you the information or whatever.
0: Yeah. So then something like priding yourself on doing things on time, it, it kind of, you have to find a way to deal with that psychologically. So are you doing okay? <laughs>
1: So, right now, I'm doing okay. Last weekend was was bad. Like, there was, I suffered some, this is the first time I feel like I I suffered actual burnout. Like, something that I could point out and be like, yeah, mm. okay, this is what everybody's talking about when they talk about burnout.
0: Really? For the first time in your life? I Well, since college, let's say that. Okay, yeah, yeah, I can see that.
1: So, it was like Thursday, I remember feeling like I just woke up in the morning and I was working, I was trying to get my task done, and I was just like... Just I just had like low level boiling anxiety all day. You know what I mean? Just like that pit of the stomach. Yeah, like and, and, and when you
0: finally stop and take a step back and look at it, you're like, why am I feeling this way? Well, oh, I kept maybe. I kept do- maybe I'm having burnout.
1: <laughs> I kept doing that. Like, why do I feel this way? And then I would look back at the text and be like, oh yeah, that's why I'm feeling this way because there's all these things that are due like in three days and I haven't finished half of them.
0: Okay, I know this is probably an understanding conversation, but can I have a fixing conversation for a second? Oh,
1: please, Ben, try to try to fix my life.
0: (laughs) Okay, here's the thing: sometimes we set up rules for ourselves that aren't necessarily actual rules. Like, for instance, the feeling that you need to be at a certain place or do it. Transpose whatever your structure is onto this instead of criticizing mine. So I, you know, as a branch chief, I feel like I need to be there when my people are there and I need to, you know, be managing and understanding and stuff. Um, And I'd gotten to the point where my list of things that I needed to do, there was a certain type of task that were all piling up. They were all the tasks that required me to give, like, dedicated, isolated attention to something for a fixed period of time, like a computer-based test for annual recurring training. Okay. And those those kinds of things were starting to pile up. And if I'd ever start one when I was in physically in the office, I'd get interrupted and not finish it. And then I'd have to start over the next time I did it. So then it was lost time. Like if I spent 10 minutes on it and then got interrupted, I'd, I'd have to do that 10 minutes over again. So I finally went to my boss. I'm like, I'm feeling really stressed out. I got a whole bunch I, I tomorrow looks like a open day on the calendar. I got my team all set up. They can handle everything. I'm gonna work from home all day and get a bunch of stuff knocked out that I just can't seem to get done in the office. And he kinda looked at me with like a well duh face and I was like, Yeah, do it. And I was like, Okay. So I did it. It was it was yesterday and man, I felt so productive. <laughs> like I, I read a bunch of documents I'd been postponing. I knocked out all the training. I got all caught up on everything, and I feel so much better. I don't know if that's a possibility for you or something <laughs> like it, but I love this. all I had to do was ask.
1: I, I love how you jumped in here to be helpful. I can I can see why your wife, or actually my wife, I can see why women don't appreciate it when we try to do this sometimes. Yeah. Because like what <laughs> it, what you just you did, you did was like— You want to
0: tell me all the reasons why that won't work. And if you, No, no, that's
1: I'm not going to tell you all the reasons that, why that won't work. What I'm going to say here is that like— Hey, Josh, can I interrupt you talking about how you felt and how your feelings were bad to Uh, tell you about a win that I had in my life and how much better (laughs) I am than you?
0: (laughs) Okay, Uh, I don't have any comeback to that whatsoever. Carry on.
1: (laughs) Anyway, so this is like two days. Like Thursday, I was just low-level anxiety, and and Friday, it got so bad that... So I'm going to tell a a small anecdote. I am not going to go into too many details. Basically... I try to grab a new project. I'm like, okay, I want to do this tax return. We're missing these things. Let me shoot them an email real quick to get them to, like, like I'm not going to actually work on it. I just identified the things I need to get started and I'm going to get the ball rolling for the client to them to get me that stuff. Okay. So I sent the email to the client and five minutes later, I get a call from our office manager whose job it is to make sure that we're, you know, tasks are actually moving in the office. And she asked me, like, hey, why did you email that person? I was like, Because I need this thing to do their project. And she goes, yes, but their project is like lower priority than this other project. Like, what are you talking about? And then we had to have a 20-minute conversation about something that I was completely unaware of is how they were stacking the due dates of the things that were on my list. And because it boiled down to like this person was on my list first. Before this other person showed up on my list, this one person showed up like last week. This person showed up yesterday. Okay, so they
0: were chronologically first but not prioritizably first. Right, and I didn't know the difference. Like I was
1: just grabbing like – I told her like I'm just trying to get everything done. But then that's not good enough for her because her job is to make sure this stuff is being done the correct way and I lost it like i i got very snippish i got very uh, i i i apologize later for being in such a an angry bad mood with her
0: i could see from her perspective how she's trying to take the prioritization thing off your plate but her system broke down and then they blamed you for it
1: well it's it's i mean there's mitigating right? circumstances there's excuses i have but the the fact of the matter is like she was she was looking at the list one way and i was looking at it another way Right. My focus was just trying to get stuff done. And this is when I realized, like, and I just, I was, I was, like, to the point where, like, I had lost my appetite. I didn't hardly eat anything for lunch, and I was, like, mm, low-level shaky. Yes, that's,
0: yeah, that's on all the lists of, like, bad signs. Yeah,
1: of, like, just overwork Burnout. and stressed. Yes. And, like, it finally, like, I had to, like, recognize that this was happening to me. Like, this is, and, like, I feel like I'm burned out. And then I took the weekend to just... Do the things that you're talking about, like or the things that I always preach to people is I like I took a step back and I like, okay let's try to flush this out of my system, first of all, by doing things that I enjoy and stepping away from work. But then also when I get back to the big, giant, scary list, I need to actually look at it and identify one, why it's scary and two, like I need to recognize this is not an existential threat. To my, my, yeah. my being. Right. I sh- This is just. Yeah. Work that it's I have evoking
0: to do. these like primal, uh, you, you know, vestiges of our evolutionary history. <laughs> yes. This is this is unnecessarily.
1: This is my ancestors genomes like that. <laughs> saved them from cougars in the jungle coming back to like do me active harm in the information age. Yeah. Like I'm not going to die. Nothing's going to eat me. If this task ends up being done a day later than than then I want it to be done, no one's going to die. So,
0: so you had to come up with a schema to tell yourself to override your desire to do it the same way when it wasn't possible.
1: When after I had identified that, like, yeah, it's it's it just goes back to the same thing. I needed to eat the elephant. I needed to calm down about it. I need I reprioritized. I did not hit all of my internal deadlines, but I hit all the external deadlines, and that was the key. Like all the stuff that's due to tax agencies, I got all that stuff done like at, when it needed to be done. but the stuff mm-hmm. that's like, oh well, this person's accounting for the month was done two days later than it should have been. like I just let that go like oh well and my boss asked me about it and I was like, well that's that's just when it got done, boss. I don't know what to tell you like'm I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm operating at like 98% capacity over here.
0: when when you were trying to like recover and take a step back, what kind of stuff did you do? Did you go for a run? Did you play a video game? Like what? What are your things? I
1: did go run on Thursday. Um, took my son to football practice and went for a run. That helped a bit with the endorphins and just working out and that kind of thing. Um. Yeah, I, I just I just stopped thinking about work for as long as I could get away with, which wasn't long because obviously I went like it was Thursday and Friday that I felt this, but I had to work again Saturday morning. Yeah. So it was, that was the morning that I, I – instead of doing billable work for the first few hours, I was just combing through and figuring out and reprioritizing, okay, what actually needs to get done?
0: Okay, I'm not trying to do that thing again, but one time <laughs> when this happens for me is sometimes we get in the trap where every day we come in and we just are slave to, like, staring at the computer and the task list and the email inbox and all those kinds of things. And every now and then, in the Air Force at least, you'll come in and, like, the network's down.
1: just have like like an almost like an off day.
0: Yeah, and for about the first 20 minutes, you're just kind of like waiting for it to come back up. But then after that, you're like, well, what else can I do? And then you start looking at like the pile of papers on your desk or you stand up and go talk to someone or you make a phone call you've been postponing or stuff. And I found that even though those aren't planned, I'm kind of grateful when those kind of days happen because they just allow you to take a different approach every now and then. Just
1: shake up the routine, get you out of the norm.
0: Yeah. Well, one of the things that shake up the routine and get you out of the norm is last week or the week before last. But anyway, since the last time we recorded, I took a trip to Colorado.
1: Oh yeah, how was that? You were now. Let me refresh my memory. You were you and your oldest daughter had just bought a new well a, a new used car. Yeah. In Shreveport, Louisiana, and then she was going to drive it to Colorado, where she is going to attend college. Correct.
0: Kind of. She's going to go to college in Utah, and Colorado was on the way. Oh, got it. I had already planned this business trip, but since it coincided with her driving away to college instead of her driving 26 hours by herself, I did the first 16 with her. And we drove together to Colorado Springs, and I canceled my flight out there.
1: Oh, okay. That's kind of nice.
0: Yeah. So we we got to Colorado Springs together. We stayed overnight in the hotel, and then she drove off the next morning and just finished the trip on her own, and I stayed there for the Rocky Mountain Cyber Symposium 2023. Oh dear! Which is yeah, it's just an annual gathering of of like minds in the military community relating to cybersecurity.
1: Did you get a keynote address from somebody in private industry that just told you all how you're 15 years behind the power curve on all this stuff?
0: Yes. Gosh, have you, <laughs> did, were you there?
1: <laughs> no, but that's the speech you all need to get every time.
0: Yeah. So I want to talk about that a little bit because I think the DOD recognizes that their system can be a bit insular and um, resistant to change, let's say. And that's not good in the field of cybersecurity. Like you need to be agile and able to change if you're going to stay ahead. Otherwise, you're just going to be trapped on old software that's vulnerable and exploited. So what they'll do sometimes is they'll try to have uh, have it both ways they want to have their insular resistant to change system and they also want to have the latest technology and since the system resists that it just creates a lot of tension and what they'll do is they'll hire a qualified civilian chief information officer and bring them in <laughs> and then not change anything else
1: well and the last time that happened is that guy got so frustrated with the system that he he wrote the world's most uh I quit letter and sent it out to DOD at all and left.
0: Yes. Yes. So Nick Chilean quit as the air force's chief software architect. Uh, This. So there was one keynote speech that was given by, it it was, it was beautiful actually, Josh. It was given by Miss Lauren Nausenberger, the air force chief information officer. And she's one of those people, young, highly educated, very qualified, very understanding and The camera goes to the stage, and there's two chairs sitting there. And between the two chairs is a bottle of wine and two glasses.
1: Oh, dear. This is going to be one of those (laughs) speeches.
0: (laughs) And then she comes out with the Navy Chief Information Officer. I can't remember his name. And they said they'd also invited the Army Chief Information Officer, but he couldn't make it. So instead of him, they were going to have ChatGPT stand in as the Army Chief Information Officer. Oh, jeez. (laughs) <laughs> so what they've done is they prepped ChatGPT to be the Army CIO. They said, ChatGPT, you need to pretend that you're going to be the Army CIO. And, and, it, and it did like this thing. It's like, okay, I'm the Army CIO. And it started spouting off like Army values and stuff like that. They're like, good, keep doing that. So, oh, man, the that's, time-
1: I, I, so I don't want to interrupt your thing, but like that's one thing about Army guys. Like everybody in the Army can spout you their doctrine all day.
0: Yeah, yeah. So we got so we got the Navy CIO, the Air Force CIO, the Army CIO, and they come out and they sit down, almost with kind of like a an exasperated posture, and they say, "Welcome to CIO Support Group." And they pour themselves a glass of wine and take a and and take a sip, and they're like, "All right, here in CIO Support Group, we just get together and try to and and." It was beautiful. Like, it was this example of them kind of acknowledging the frustration and the reality of the impossibility of their task and just trying to do the best they can with what they've been handed. Oh, my goodness. All
1: right, let's take a step back for a second and, and talk about the, the how scared that I should be now as a civilian that, like, the chief information officer for two of the branches of the Department of Defense— are are basically getting drunk on stage because it's so laughable to ask them about the state of cybersecurity in our
0: nation. Yes, that's definitely one way to put it. I won't argue with that at all. <laughs> the great thing about it is they were recognizing their audience because their audience isn't Congress. It's not the American people. It's the people that have to carry out this impossible task.
1: It's the grunts. It's the cogs in the machine of the bureaucracy that know exactly how hard it is to move anything from point A. Yes.
0: So they, they were welcoming us. They were acknowledging our frustration, which was a beautiful way to start. They can, they can button it up and talk about all of their accomplishments as good as any, you know, four-star equivalent civilian can do. If they were talking to Congress, they would sit there and talk about all the, the initiatives and things that are happening. But they know that we're behind. They know that it's frustrating. They know that we're not making progress as quickly as we need to.
1: Well, I can't even, like, my IT experience now is so far in the past. I'm sure everything that I learned is completely antiquated. But just the the foundational elements of understanding enterprise-level IT infrastructure and then trying to make it, try, one, trying to work it through a government bureaucracy, two, trying to make it agile enough that it can keep up with the latest threats and developments in, in the private sector, And but then three, making it, like, defensible and robust enough Oh, and then yeah, there's just all yeah, oh, impossible task. Yeah. There's so many like requirements
0: for this. Like it's no wonder you can't get it done. So both of them that came from like industry jobs at the CIO level that came in, both described the moment. Uh, I forget what to call it, but it's this thing you have when you're new to an organization where you've learned enough to understand what the organization's about, but you haven't been there long enough that you're part of the problem yet.
1: <laughs> yeah. So
0: you have fresh eyes and you can see the issues before you become part of the issues and both of them described this moment when they got to the department of defense and recognized that it's amazing that the DOD gets anything done at all given the complexity of its organization <laughs> yeah yep and they're like it, they it's equal parts compliment and not compliment <laughs> uh,
1: it, yeah it's it's such a weird thing like if you've never lived in government it is unlike anything you've ever been a part of it's so yeah. weird people's priorities in a government organization
0: yeah, so they talked about it, and they talked about uh, what the future holds, what they've been able to accomplish in the past, and at the end, I think it, it they ended on I think an optimistic note. Like, yeah, all that's frustrating, and yeah, we're having trouble with these things, but we're still staying ahead, and here's the reasons we have for being optimistic, which I think is a great way to end something like that oh and then she announced her resignation <laughs> <laughs> did she really yes that sounds <laughs> with a glass of wine in her hand on the stage she made the official announcement of her resignation as, as air force cio
1: also like not the reasons we should be happy or congratulatory or you know uh, uh just confident in our stance but here's why we should be optimistic maybe someday we'll get to where we're supposed to go
0: yeah it's interesting that you have a hierarchy of optimism. Um, she, in her defense, she is the longest sitting CIO the Air Force has ever had. So she, she's not just abandoning us. Okay. Okay, so while I was there, I was basically um, four days post-op from my surgery on my left shoulder.
1: Yes. How did that go? Like, did you get the fully cybernetic arm with, like, the knife that comes out? <laughs>
0: <laughs> i am not claw from uh, black panther i they the doctor wanted to do that he wanted to do a joint replacement but i don't know why he would suggest that other than the fact that i'm young and he thinks i would heal quick and and you know a good
1: you probably right, bill I'm your gonna, insurance a lot for uh joint yeah
0: yeah all those reasons that don't have anything to do with taking good care of me well um, <laughs> i can hear the bitterness creeping into your voice already Ben. Yeah, this is a place where I feel like at odds with the system, that there's so many incentives out there that don't have anything to do with the Hippocratic Oath.
1: Hmm. Oh, so you're skeptical of the professional responsibility that your doctor is taking on to himself when he's giving you, like, basically instructions on what needs to happen.
0: Yes, I think that's kind of the societal contract with medical professionals, isn't it? That that, we believe that they're prime... It's it's like the Star Trek Prime Directive.
1: Well, it's... uh... So I, I was – this was drilled to me a long time ago. The definition of a professional is someone with so much knowledge that they can't be held accountable for what they do by the general public. That's why a professional has to hold themselves accountable because no one else has the expertise to know if they did a good job or not.
0: Oh, okay. For the first half of that, I thought you are being cynical, but for the second half, it, it all came home.
1: No, my brother got kind of the same lecture when he was in an engineering school, and the engineer got up and talked about if – An engineer screws up on the plans. No one's going to be able to call him on it, but people will die when the thing gets built. And
0: so that's – So you need other engineers to keep an eye on that guy. So
1: yeah, the profession of engineers needs to have a a level that they hold themselves to. The same thing for – anything that's really high technical expertise starts to cross into that realm. Medical professionals is easily like the – the, the main one that you point at when you're talking about professionalism, because me, the layperson, like this guy went to how who knows how many years of medical school and all the continuing education that he has and all the, the experience he has with all of his patients. I can't replicate or duplicate that with a handful of Google searches and some YouTube tutorials. So, yeah, you like as much as you want to be an informed consumer, especially when it's like concerning your health and your body. There's a point where you're just going to have to trust the guy's expertise.
0: Yes. however, however. Comma, asterisk, chaotic, good, coming at you. No, not just chaotic, good. Uh, I, I belong to this subreddit. I recommend. It's called the Tenth Dentist.
1: The it's oh, a, as as in like nine out of ten dentists say gum chewing gum is good for you.
0: Yes, yes. That other dentist went to the same amount of school as the other nine, but he has a different opinion. Okay. So you just want to be? Is it
1: just contrary to like all medical stuff? Is that what this uh, subreddit is about?
0: You can kind of get behind the firewall of, like, we're professionals and we're beyond criticism, but the professionals don't even agree amongst themselves on everything. So True. you have to just acknowledge there's legitimate differences of opinion sometimes.
1: Well, I'm, that's, that will exist. If you, if you get enough expertise in anything, you'll find people that have different uh, things that they prefer. I remember, I remember being a pool guy, Ben. And I was at the yeah. shop and I was like, oh, I'll take this kind of pump and motor. And the guy next to me goes, oh, I hate those. I always use these. And I looked at him like he was crazy. I'm like, are you out of your mind? And we had like a full up 15-minute debate over which brand of pump was the best for a pool.
0: Right, or maybe some people will swear by salt pools and some people swear by chlorine or whatever, and you would both be right for all the reasons you gave. Well,
1: uh, I'll end that debate right now, Ben. Every single pool that has ever asked me to convert them to salt, like a year or two later, went
0: back to chlorine. So there you go. Every single one? Every single one. Wow. <laughs> okay, so I got arthroscopic surgery to solve a bunch of issues that are boring and, and no, no need to repeat it. And after I, after the surgery and the numbness had worn off and everything, I was wondering about what my recovery time would be like. So I was just trying to find – I was doing some research on the Internet, as professionals hate, now that the Internet's enabled a layperson to be able to go <laughs> and without having gone to all the schooling and knowledge and background, like you said, the, the, the barrier of entry of a professional, uh, and now consume some of the same kind of things. So I had ended up in the well of like – peer-reviewed studies related to the exact procedure that I'd had done on my shoulder. And there was a recent one that was highly cited that was basically saying that the procedure that the doctor had done to me was shown to be of no clinical value. Oh, interesting. Okay. And I didn't find this before the procedure when he told me what he was going to do. I found it after the procedure when I was just looking for how long my recovery time was going to be.
1: So after the fact, you you found some evidence contrary to the opinion that you were given by your medical professional.
0: Yes, that basically if he were abiding by this profession, professional publication, that he wouldn't have even undergone the procedure at all.
1: So then you have to ask yourself, I mean, what's the next step? You're just like, oh, are you just curious and you're going to track your progress to see where you land in the bell curve of the people yes. that are in the
0: study? Yes, Exactly. But I also had two questions. One, did he not know about the study and did it in ignorance of it? Or two, did he know about it and didn't do it because he had a reason?
1: Okay. Like my, my, my spidey sense is tingling a little bit. Ben, <laughs> you tell me, tell me you did not call your surgeon <laughs> and ask him, hey, I just read a thing on the internet as a layperson that says what you just did to me was complete and utter crap. Defend your position, sir. Uh,
0: So I was, I didn't call him. I waited until my next appointment, which was the two-week follow-up from the Uh. surgery. (laughs) Uh, And so I'm in the room with him. And I said, so Dr. Wilson, have you read the role of chromioplasty for for management of rotator cuff problems by Lewis and Edwards?
1: If I was your surgeon, I would have tased you. Like I would have pulled out my taser and tased you in the room because, like, what 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 are you what are you doing? Why are you throwing down 18 syllable words in front of your doctor after the fact? This is the thing, Ben. Like, if you want to talk to him about this peer reviewed study, like a week before this is scheduled to go down, that's one thing. But it's said and done, man. Like, what, what what's he going to do now? Like, oops, okay, my he bad. He did
0: something I did not expect, and I've never had this happen in in a professional context. He grabbed me by the hand. He he
1: touched you physically.
0: He came over to me, and he took my outstretched hand, and he grabbed it with both hands like this.
1: Wow, okay.
0: And he looked me in the eye, and he proceeded to, tell me, he proceeded to give me this, I think, somewhat unprofessional diatribe about why studies aren't always right. Oh, dear. That's... So... Okay. So, uh, you know, I gave two possibilities. Either he knew about it and didn't follow it, or he didn't know about it. He knew about it and didn't follow it. And he wanted to tell me why, and he didn't. He he felt no need to justify this to me until the moment I brought it up.
1: Well, yeah. If if he believes, well, and that's the thing. Like he gave you when you asked him for his opinion, what should I do? Like he condensed all of the knowledge that he had on this yes. subject, including this study, into one brief little. I think you should do this.
0: Right, and and I had him explain it to me, and I said, okay, let's do that.
1: Right, and so then when you challenged him on a piece of that information, that he took you by the hand in a really. Weirdly like close way Like stop touching me you weirdo <laughs> And then what did he give you Good explanation about it uh,
0: Well I, I I think it's Funny that you, you just described him Grabbing me by the hand as, as excessively Intimate because two weeks before that He literally was inside of My you know skin <laughs> you, you didn't say it Right it's like, like, well I
1: mean it was It was fine it was actually kind of nice that he held my hand After he'd been inside me <laughs>
0: <laughs> you're you're better at those kinds of punchlines than I am. Anyway, once he calmed down, he basically said something that I agree with, and that is, you know, th- these authors had a thesis and a controlled, you know, group of experimental people. And they came to he- what he feels is an overly generalized conclusion in too hasty of a manner. Okay. Okay, fine. Oh, we'll see. How how I'm feeling after after the recovery's over. I mean, it still hurts.
1: Uh, there is there's some argument to be made against the mathematics of studies like that, but then at, I think he brought up he attacked it in a way that makes the most sense in your situation. It's like, oh well, this is a controlled group that you may or may not be an actual good representation of, and right. so it, it'd be it'd be easy to expect like if the study was conducted with nothing but 86 year old women, it's not beyond the stretch of imagination to believe that you would respond differently to this procedure than they did.
0: Yeah. All right. That's all the follow-up stuff, Josh. Uh, now you oddly have been texting me all kinds of stuff about the sport of baseball. I never took you for, <laughs> much, for much of a baseball fan, but I'm having to revise my Josh simulator. Did you play baseball in high school? I,
1: okay. Okay. So th- let's make this perfectly clear. Is I'm not a huge baseball nut. I'm not the kind of guy that's going to turn on a baseball game and just have it playing in the background so I can peek. Okay, it on you're
0: all not day. trying to watch every Arizona Diamondbacks home game. I, I don't
1: have know. like the satellite MLB package where I'm watching four no
0: season tickets. Yeah, I'm
1: not watching four games simultaneously and like tracking the division rankings. No, I'm not doing any of that. Okay. For some reason, I think uh, it's TikTok's fault, Ben. I think TikTok <laughs> has clearly identified uh, me as somebody that uh, cares so much about rules that when rules change it doesn't matter what what we're talking about if rules about anything change i get a i, I like all the tiktoks that are about rules changing i get those
0: that's weird that you have this algorithmic uh, pre- <laughs> uh, propensity for rules changes well
1: because i'd be scrolling through my feed and i'll tell you i get i get four kinds of tiktoks okay i get magic the gathering story tiktoks where they're uh-huh. discussing the story of magic the gathering i get rules tiktoks stuff like this Stuff like uh, economic policy shifts in foreign countries, random things like that. Um, I get the comedy TikToks of things that are just really funny. Like there's a handful of people I see that do funny things that I like to laugh at. And then I get – well, then I get the TikToks that I don't like to watch in front of my wife or in public.
0: (laughs) The thirst traps.
1: Yeah. Wow,
0: you know the name.
1: Yes, all the (laughs) thirst trap TikToks. Yeah, so my brain, okay. my brain got sidetracked oh, for a second.
0: Wait, wait, I want to, I want to fully go down the the road. We were, we're gonna get back to baseball, but I want to fully go <laughs> down the road of like how we cope with this. There have been uh, social media platforms that I've abandoned wholesale, not because I don't like them or what they're trying to do, but because I felt like I ended up down a, an algorithmic dead end where it was only feeding me stuff and I didn't know how to fix their algorithm. Okay, uh, two examples for me are Instagram and Pinterest. Like initially it does kind of an interview because you're an unknown quantity and it's trying to get to know you and then it starts feeding you content and then it becomes kind of samey and ultimately you're like, I don't know how to get out of this trap or I don't even know how to answer the questions in a way that where it will actually give me what I want to see.
1: Okay. So I can tell you the answer to that is you interact with the platform in the ways that it wants you to. For example, on TikTok specifically, you can not only like... Uh, different tiktok it tracks how often if you if you mark it as a, if you like this tiktok if you mark it as a favorite if you forward it to other people how many times you watch it and people have t-
0: i get that people I- have
1: also told me that it tracks how much you laugh at it because it has access to your microphone i don't know if that's true what there's there's also um negative feedback there is negative feedback features on tiktok where you can actually tell it i am not interested in this subject material and it will update the algorithm and spit you out new stuff
0: yeah Yeah, I get in a weird place with that. And I'm going to say something that I may edit out later. But, like, I really love Avril Lavigne. And so when I go on a social media platform and she starts popping up in my feed, I want to like it. But I know that'll keep feeding it to me. And then I have the wife problem that you just described where, like, I'm scrolling through my feed. And she's like, what's with all these pictures of blonde girls in your feed?
1: (laughs) All right. So I don't – like, it's not a problem. I just, like – do I feel bad watching Thirst Traps with my wife in the room? Not really, because she's the one that ultimately benefits from that, from that attention. <laughs> and at the same time, if she asks me, what are you watching? I will, like, no hesitation, turn my phone around to her like I'm watching Thirst Traps. Like, to the point where if she gets funny Thirst Traps, she sends them over to me. You just got to be open about these things, Ben.
0: Okay. That's definitely a way that would not be compatible with my marriage, but I get it.
1: <laughs> well, is Alicia not a fan of Avril Levine?
0: <laughs> no. Now, for so many reasons. For
1: for all the reasons. All right. <laughs> anyway, in one of the one of the rules changed feed that I got, there was a handful that were talking about baseball specifically. And then that – because TikToks aren't very long. It's a short-form media. But that encouraged me to go out and actually pursue and see like, well, wait a minute. What are they actually talking about? And then I started digging and found out that it was more than what they were just talking about. And so, yeah, I was sending this week like sending you stuff like, oh, isn't this interesting?
0: Okay, so I didn't know any of this. Like, if it came up in the news, it just didn't hit my radar. So you're saying this season, Major League Baseball, for some reason, made a bunch of huge rules changes that are going to impact the way the game is played.
1: This season specifically, the Major League Baseball, who apparently are listeners to the podcast and decided <laughs> after we talked about there are some rules that need to change.
0: they Yeah, yeah. we they, talked about banana ball and, and what the problems with the game of baseball and are. And they decided
1: that they can't lose us or our listener base. Listeners, this is really a win for you. If you subscribe yeah. to Bad Magic Podcast, you are directly responsible for the changes in the Major League Baseball, and you can tell all your friends that.
0: I can't think of any counter evidence to that statement. Go on.
1: (laughs) I'm not going to say they're all huge. Some of them are bigger than others. Others are like they're a big deal if you're a professional baseball player. Everyone else probably won't even notice. But there were six changes that I sat. Well, there are six changes that they're making this season. And then something that happened last season that I wasn't aware of that I want to bring up. Okay. Okay. So first, six rules changes. The first one and the biggest one that everybody's going to hear about if you watch baseball at all is the pitch timer.
0: Yeah. So I think anybody knows this is a problem. Well,
1: we, we talked about that when we talked about the problem with baseball as yeah, you get into these strong it, It's out-
0: boring to sit around and watch the the batter wandering in and out of the box and the pitcher, you know, getting ready too many times and at bats take way too long.
1: Yes. So they have implemented a clock. Like kind of like the play clock in football. Like you can't be messing around on the sideline forever before you run a play. Now there is a big clock, and if you've watched any of the preseason games on TV, the way that they positioned it, it's just left of where the batter and the umpire and all them stand. And so in that iconic shot where they're looking at the back of the pitcher and the front of the batter, you can see the clock off to the left. So you know. Ticking down. Ticking down. And so the, the pitcher can see it. Everybody knows how much time is left. And there are, uh, it's, it's crazy. Like they, they're doing stuff that I never thought baseball would do. First of all, 30 seconds between batters. The batter, ha- like th- that's it. No more than 30 seconds from one batter to the next. Like th- let's keep this game. What's
0: going. the penalty?
1: Uh, for that one specifically, I don't know. But there are other penalties that pop up. Um, When the bases are empty, if there's nobody on base, there's 15 seconds between pitches. That's it. If the pitcher does not start his motion within 15 seconds from his previous pitch, it's an automatic ball.
0: Okay, so by doing nothing, he could actually walk a batter. Yes,
1: if he just stood there, the batter would walk. Wow. If uh, If there's people on base, it's the same thing, but he has 20 seconds between pitches now, okay? If the batter is not does not have both feet in the batter's box and is looking at the pitcher either before the pitcher starts their throw or if there's eight seconds or less on the clock, it's an automatic strike. So the batter has to be ready, and the batter can't be jumping out of the box to try to ice the pitcher either.
0: Okay. Those are... It doesn't sound like much, and really, I can't think of what else you would do. But those are severe penalties. So there was a lot.
1: This came to my attention because they were talking about a game in the preseason that was ended by the pitch clock. It was um, like they were down. The the batting team was down by a run in the ninth inning. The bases were loaded. It was a full count, and he was taking his time getting like going through his normal warm up, like swinging routine. The ump
0: calls a strike. The game's over. Yeah,
1: and he wasn't ready with eight seconds on the clock. I'm um, called the strike. That's the third out. Game is over. Because this guy wow. going through his routine that he's done as a professional baseball player. Not only that, but as a college yeah. baseball player, for this guy has the same warm-up routine for for decades.
0: Okay, I like the point that you're making right now, which is that people have a bit of cultural inertia that has to be overcome and eventually it will be overcome and the system will absorb it
1: i'm like the stuff that i'm reading about is it, there's one half where the the fans are arguing about it and they're all the diehards about like oh you shouldn't change baseball it's sure. timeless and other the ones like the game. oh well this like
0: b- like they haven't changed the rules in the past well,
1: but the other side is arguing like oh this is going to be better for the spectator of the game but the right. other side that you read is about the managers and the coaches because they're saying that there are teams that they, like their pitchers, every one of their pitchers, the first thing they did when they came in is they grilled them on every rule associated with the pitch clock every time they stepped into the into a practice session for the entire offseason. Because they wow. knew this was happening, and they knew this was going to be a huge shift in how the game is played with pitchers and batters. And so everybody not only needs to be aware of it, it needs to be in their bones.
0: There's going to be a few opportunists who are able to leverage this during the transition period and really have a historic year.
1: I, I think so. There there's gonna be um there was one pitcher that I saw, I forget the guy's name, but there was this TikTok, one of the other TikToks that was talking about this change specifically, is uh-huh. he's he had been having problems forever because he's a very fast pitcher. And so right. the batters were always playing games with him where like he would get ready to throw and they would jump out of the box because he just he just wanted to get up there and throw the ball. Well, with the pitch clock, that's all different. Like, if they jump out of the box, they get a strike.
0: It's all on his side now.
1: In the preseason, this pitcher, and again, I don't know his name. We'll find it. We'll put it in the show notes, I guess. Like, he set the world record for the fastest Major League strikeout at 27 seconds. (laughs)
0: Like, step up, three strikes, you're out, get out of the box. Yeah.
1: That was crazy. Okay. All right, so another another rules change that they made that's associated with the pitch clock, but a little different, is the pickoff rules.
0: A pit- pickoff, as in like when a guy is on base, and if he steps off the base, and the pitcher throws the ball to the basement, and they tag him while he's just standing a, a, feet, a foot away from him. Exactly.
1: That, that's the classic baseball pickoff. Uh, nobody likes, and like if you've you've been in a baseball stadium when a pitcher throws two or uh, more pickoffs to the same where, base, where
0: he's he like I don't know he, he wants to ice the batter. I don't know what the strategy for it is, but he just keeps throwing it back to the first baseman over and over and over again, and
1: everybody's booing, like the whole stands just yeah, hates like-
0: it. Bro, just get on with the game. Yeah,
1: well now, a pitcher only has two what they're calling disengagements per at bat, and that's specifically a pickoff. He's only allowed to try to pick off a batter or a runner twice while uh, with during the same at bat.
0: So again, my question is, what's the penalty? Like if he do, if he forgets and does it the third time? What now happens? here's the
1: thing: he can, he absolutely can throw it the third time. He is allowed to try to pick him off for a third time. But if he does not pick him off on that third throw, it's an automatic advancement for the base runner.
0: Whoa. Yeah. Man, these are huge. Yeah, that's a big deal. Okay, I want to give some historical context because I get the people that are arguing for the history and the integrity of the game. I th- I'm going to get my years wrong on this, but I think back in like the 1967 season, uh, pitching had reached the point where like batters couldn't hit the ball anymore. <laughs> uh, Bob Gibson was the league leader that year, and I think he had an ERA of like below one like batters got less than a hit per game on him Yeesh. and he pitched the whole game so after that season I, I, they have a name for it, i know they called it like pitching winter or something like that after that season they physically lowered the pitching mound a significant amount Oh, okay and and then you know batting came back up but i'm sure there were people at the time arguing for maintaining the integrity of the game yeah but people were like it's not fun to come out here to you know and watch a 0-0 tie go into the 13th inning until somebody <laughs> finally hits a run because everyone's exhausted.
1: Yeah. Well, and that's right. that's one thing to talk about specifically. Apparently, they've been prac or testing the pitch clock in the minor leagues for a couple of years now. And uh. what they've discovered is on average the pitch clock reduced the length of the games by anywhere from 25 to 30 minutes on average. Okay. And then that sounds good. 2022 was
0: not too much?
1: not too much but in 2022 major league baseball games on average was the highest and the longest that it has ever been it was uh, it was average okay so
0: they ha- they couldn't not do something yeah the
1: average mlb game in 2022 ran just over 3 hours long
0: i mean it's nothing to, compared to cricket it's it's historical ancestor that it'll go on for weeks but yeah, I could see that that being way too long. So, All right, Mr. Bath I they, rugby, I thank
1: you for our, our British like uh, uh, contemplation of.
0: I bet they experimented with what the right amount to have on the pitch clock was until they arrived at the right number. Hopefully,
1: and I, I appreciate that they lengthen it if somebody's on base, like recognizing there's more strategy that has to go into that. But whatever. All right, so that's the pitch timer, and that's the pickoff rules. Those are the biggest ones. The next okay. one is probably uh, also important, but in ways that I don't understand, and that's the infield shift rule. So you're only allowed – now, the infielders. Apparently, it was a big deal where they were moving like everybody around, depending on who was hitting and like where they liked to bat. Sure. So they've changed it. Um, at the beginning of the pitch, you can only have two infielders on either side of second base, and all of their feet have to be on the dirt when the pitch starts.
0: Mm, yeah, you're right. I don't know enough about baseball to understand the implications of this. Well, I was
1: reading about it and apparently there were some strategies with especially specific hitters or specific pitchers and specific teams where they would radically shift the defense. To like really take advantage of things. But what
0: undesirable outcome was that radically shifting of the defense causing? Was it? it was, is it just a time consumption thing? It was better
1: defense. Like there was, the better the defense, the fewer people that get on base, fewer base runners, lower points, less exciting the game is.
0: Uh, but I'm wondering if it was also a time thing. Like, it sh- does shifting the infield pause action and extend the length of the game? I don't know, but this
1: pitch timer completely negates that because okay. it, it doesn't matter what the infielders are doing, presumably. Like, the pitch is going to have to happen whether they're ready or not. All right. So, again, yeah, that's a big one, but, again, for reasons I don't understand. Uh, another one that's uh, maybe you care about but I don't understand is there's they're balancing their schedules. Um. They're changing how many games they play against whatever teams. Like what I, There's a bunch of numbers here. Yeah,
0: they always tweak that. Well, <laughs> I remember back in the 90s, a big deal was when they actually started playing cross-division games between the National League and the American League before the World Series.
1: All right, well, they, they shifted it again, so they're playing more teams more often. So every team in the MLB will play every other team at least once during the regular season. Actually, I think it's at least three times during the regular season. And they just okay. they just made room for, for specific teams to play against each other more. Uh, for example, they did – every team will have four games against their quote-unquote geographic rival. Some of those make sense, like the Mets versus the Yankees or the Cubs versus the White Sox. Some of them right. don't make any sense, like the Houston Astros versus the Colorado Rockies apparently are geographic <laughs> rivals somehow.
0: Yeah, that's weird.
1: Yeah, that, That's one of those things. I'm sure there's a baseball – the diehard fan that's screaming at his podcast player right now. Like this is an amazing change or whatever. I'm sorry. Okay. I don't appreciate yeah, yeah, it as much Thumbs as up.
0: Whatever. Tweet the schedule. Last one. Fill your boots. Oh, not
1: the last one. Two more. Uh, this one I thought was interesting. They are allowing ads on uniforms.
0: Okay. We talked about that on the podcast. Uh,
1: it was coming. This is the first time MLB is allowing ads. It is going to be in the form of a patch. It's not a very big patch. So like four or five inches across, I think. Um, the one I saw was a circle. The Padres were the very first team to sign up with a, a deal for a patch on their uniforms,
0: which is okay. a
1: big deal because that kind of sets like the bar for like that everyone else is going to compare to.
0: Sure. It, it, we, we talked about this in Bad at Logic. It's anchoring. Yeah, every
1: other deal that this is for is going to anchor on this price, and that is okay. Motorola paid the Padres $9 million to have a Motorola icon on all the players' uh, shoulder for one full season.
0: Yeah, but I had no way to understand if that's good or not. You know what else (laughs) I wonder? How effective is having a patch of a company on the sleeve of your uniform for as far as like actual advertising? There must be some evidence for it. Otherwise, a company wouldn't spend that much money to do it.
1: I presume that this is not like Motorola paid $9 million just and that's the only amount of advertising they're getting. I'm assuming that this is a line item in a much more comprehensive uh, deal that Motorola made with the Padres. Like, okay. oh, there's going to be Motorola in the stands in these places. They're going to say brought to you by Motorola at these times. Like, I'm assuming there's going to be more Motorola branding associated with the Padres. But getting the patch on the uniform was just one extra thing on that contract.
0: That makes sense. Okay, is that all the rules changes? Uh,
1: there's one more rules change then one more thing I wanted to bring up. Okay. This rule change, I, I don't know why. I don't know if it's a big deal or not. This is the one that I've maybe seen. players are
0: are, are – I've Big seen off. this all over the place. I think it's a safety issue. I think it's about preventing injuries. And
1: it, what we're talking about is bigger bases. The bases are bigger than they were last year.
0: Not just a little bit. It's dramatic.
1: Well, they're 18 inches. I'll put a, on a photo sp- in the album
0: for the... It,
1: <laughs> well, in, in the way that, that the square root or squares work, um, h- instead of 15 inches on a side, the bases are going to be 18 inches on a side. And again, uh, part of its safety, another part of it, I think, is running. Like I think they wanted to make it easier to like get to safe on bases. I don't know if like an extra six inches on our ninety-one foot baseline is going to do that much for it. But... That
0: that can't be non-zero. Uh, it it
1: can't be, but it's pretty close. To be is it statistically significant? How many people were tagged out last year with a margin of six inches or less? Uh,
0: I would get. Okay, that's a great question, and I bet someone's done that research. I'll look and see maybe we'll talk about it next time, but I'm guessing it's uh, I would say maybe above single digits
1: you know that after I said it, like yeah, because every every tag out that you see is really close, right? yeah, maybe because that's when
0: you're going for it you're you're going when the margin is gonna be close. so if you just took six inches out of the equation, there may be
1: okay. I mean, yeah, I made it trivial, but then after saying it, it probably is statistically significant.
0: Eh. Okay, what was the last one?
1: This was something I didn't know existed, but apparently has been part of baseball since 2022. The MLB introduced this, and then about half the teams in the league decided to try it out, and the other half were like, nah, that's stupid, we don't like it. Um, this all spawned from apparently the Astros stole a bunch of people's are like knew what the signals were between the pitches. Stuff. Yes. You probably know more okay, about there's the There's a
0: great video by smarter every day about stealing, um, pitch signals basically in the game for uh, international listeners in the game of baseball there it's important that when the pitcher throws a pitch to the catcher the catcher knows what kind of pitch is coming otherwise he might miss it and that'll cause really unfavorable outcomes so the traditional way of communicating this so that the batter won't know about it is for the catcher to give a signal to the pitcher and then the pitcher to basically nod his head or shake his head um Telling that he accepts or, or rejects the suggestion by the, the catcher. And this establishes a uh, affirmative communication between the two. So now the catcher said it's gonna be this pitch, the pitcher said yes, and now the catcher knows what kind of pitch the pitcher's gonna throw, and the batter doesn't know.
1: Okay. So wonderful. Apparently, then one team like stole all the signals or interpreted all the signals of some of the other teams and was able right. to Right.
0: So you can be watching from a camera in the outfield.
1: Yes, and then they were signaling so the Catcher was signaling the pitcher of what pitch he was going to throw. And then when the pitcher accepted someone then on the field would then signal the batter somehow and tell him what pitch was coming?
0: Man, th- that's just a few seconds of time there. Uh, and any advantage in baseball, right? Because there's, okay.
1: it's a game of numbers. So they were
0: they were stealing the pitcher's signals, the catcher's signals, and, and signaling that to the batter when that was not supposed to be happening. Right.
1: Apparently this happened back in 2014, 2017. I don't know. I did no research into that. I, it was just a footnote in something that I was reading. But since then, there has been this discussion in the MLB about – is there a way that we can make communication amongst the
0: players more secure? To make the... Okay, this did something fascinating I didn't think was possible. It reversed the flow of information.
1: Well, uh, uh, so hang on. What we're talking about is they came up with what's called the pitch comm system. And so the way that it is intended to work, and again, half the teams used it, the other half didn't, is there's a little wrist mounted computer module on the catcher's arm. Okay? And the catcher can hit a few buttons that'll tell the pitcher, like, what pitch that he should throw or whatever. And what it does is the pitcher will – or the catcher will enter the pitch and hit, like, send or transmit or whatever. And then a receiving unit actually broadcasts that on a little speaker in the pitcher's hat. And so the pitcher <laughs> will hear a voice telling him what pitch to throw. And then presumably okay. they do the yes-no thing from there.
0: That makes me feel like the crowd could be loud enough to disrupt that. And They like, talked okay. about that.
1: Yeah, that could uh-huh. be and, – and they just kind of, like, threw their hands up and chalked up. It was like, well, that's another part of home field advantage. Right. But what's also interesting about this is they give it the opportunity for all of the infielders can also have receiving but not transmitting units. So then even the infielders could be in on know what the what pitch, pitch is going to be. Strong. Yes. As long as it's not the other team, then, you know, who cares? This goes, that's the intended use case. Now, this goes back to that TikTok I sent you about the the pitcher that was so fast and likes the pitch clock because yeah. he's striking people out so quick. That pitcher, they actually reversed the system is he didn't like waiting for his catcher to give him, like, pitches that he wanted to throw. So instead, the catcher was wearing the pitcher unit, and he had the one. Like, basically, he was just going to tell his catcher, this is what I'm throwing, deal with it.
0: Yeah, okay. (laughs) Yeah, wow, what a huge change that is.
1: Well, and I guess it's just nice that, I guess, the league allows you to do it either way. Because there's going to be some circumstances where maybe the catcher is more in the know on the pitches that should be thrown. I'm not sure. It depends on how you're coaching your team or what you, what, what roles you're expecting your pitcher versus your catcher to have. Right.
0: So this brings up a fascinating line of thought where sports come from like very low tech historical origins, long, long ago, you know, where you got some guys with a ball of cloth on a field and you are kicking it between two trees or something like that. And that evolves into what we have today. And these systems resist technological transformation. Like, we don't want to give pitchers like bionic arms that could throw balls in the hundreds of miles an hour or something like that. I
1: don't, I don't think the system resists the change. I think people resist change. Other people, like I sure. said, half the people, like half the teams like grab the the opportunity. Like, yeah, we will try this out. Like, there. it depends on your, your outlook. Like, oh, is it the integrity of the game or is this a business where I'm trying to earn maximum number of wins to drive up my my advertising revenue, in which case I want every technological advantage I can get to be more efficient.
0: But I'm thinking about uh, in basketball and in football and all the other sports where they've gone through this resistance to adding um, video replay to their officiating. Okay. And, And they're like, well, you know, the game's always been like this, and we just count on the referee on the floor to see it firsthand and make a call, and we go with that. But eventually, all the teams have given in and instituted some kind of video replay, basically allowing technology to... Yeah, yeah. I, to interrupt the integrity of, of the game historically. I
1: see what you're saying. I think this falls in a different category, and I'll tell you why. The, specifically, the video replay changes how the game is officiated because you're going to have to pause play. You're going to have the, the officials have... Now it's the officials that have a different tool to regulate the game, which is going to yeah. change the way that it's played. In this case, we're not changing the, how the game is played. What we're changing, We're just securing something that already exists in the game. Yeah,
0: there was a convention that existed that was that the catcher had to tell the pitcher, and then the pitcher had to agree so that the information wouldn't be transmitted to the batter. There was some
1: kind of secret communication that had to happen between the pitcher and the catcher, and, like, that's it. Now, all we're changing is the method. We're not changing, like, what that communication is or how much there can be. We're just changing how it is communicated in a way that Uh is more secure, so that that I feel like there's a difference in kind there to that change versus the change of like the pitch clock which is going to change fundamentally how the game is played.
0: Yeah. But but I think maybe this also is related to the time problem because the amount of time it takes for a catcher to send a signal to a pitcher and the pitcher to agree or change it it is non-zero, you know. That's it, true. It, this also will it, you know what? Increase the amount of time of game I'll,
1: I'll bet you that the pitch clock is going to encourage the teams that were resistant to that whole technological pitch mm. communication system to reevaluate that. Like
0: It will speed it up. Yeah,
1: if we can shave three seconds off of this back and forth, that might now be a statistically significant number.
0: Yeah, another thought I had about this is about this the information security relating to the wireless transmissions oh, of these devices. Yeah,
1: it turns into this whole <laughs> rabbit and 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 like yeah, there's this cat and mouse game. Like, yeah, at, at what point? I'm I'm waiting. I'm waiting for somebody to hack into these transmitters. Like, these, to be clear, these were provided by the league. To the, the, the teams. The teams were not allowed right. to go out and get their own version of
0: right. it. Right. And so they have to have some degree of... of Cryptography. Um, confidence. Yeah, yes. mm-hmm. There's
1: some kind of like technology stuff that's happening. But I'm, I'm waiting for the, the time when somebody on the outside, some, some fan. Some
0: fan in the stands will, to hack this will thing. Will hack
1: the thing. And it's going to happen. And then start selling it like as a phone app. It's like, oh, you want to listen to your favorite team's pitches right before they're thrown? <laughs> Five bucks <laughs> no a month. Way.
0: The real customers are the Houston Astros.
1: <laughs> Apparently.
0: All right, Josh, we need to do a bad attack segment. You and I were talking this week about uh, some of the the – frequent uh, offenders when it comes to uh, tech. Um, I don't know. Is this a good (laughs) evil thing or is this? There's
1: def. All right. So tech industries have alignments, I believe. Now they're, Uh they're they're all, they're all evil because they're all out for themselves.
0: Okay. I want to make an infographic of of the alignment of major techno. All
1: all the technology companies are evil because they just want to make money. Now it's, it's just a question of how moral that they're going to be in pursuit of the, of those achievements. I think. Okay. Hey, so we've had discussions on this podcast before about um the different like late, I think the latest one was the different browser choices right
0: yes and you were talking about how inextricably linked the browsers are with their host company search uh, sweet.
1: Yes, and one of the things that I hated about Microsoft Edge is that it's going to use Bing because Microsoft right. is just trying to harvest your information like everybody else, and unfortunately for them, Google has, in, a, for at least for right now in the last decade, been light years better as a search engine, more relevant than Bing yeah.
0: has. So that makes you predisposed towards Chrome because you're okay with Google search.
1: Well, I'm actually predisposed to Chrome. Uh, I did I actually did my IT like research on it when it first came out and like the sandboxes that it does for its technology. Like there's things that yeah. Chrome does that I like, but that's either here right. Or there.
0: right. But part of it is the search feature. Well, now I'd mentioned on the last podcast that being was trying to get a leg up in this arena by potentially har- utilizing artificial intelligence to improve their search.
1: Yes. And Bing was the first ones that are coming out like, oh, we're going to integrate like chat GPT style artificial intelligence to interact with you better. And they had, since then, there was a bunch of like re- review videos that came out and people that were using it that were then talking about it, how. Um, so remember how we were talking about like chat GPT specifically and artificial intelligence and would it become a sentient living thing well it turns out microsoft's iteration of their ai is fully alive and it's evil (laughs) and it's gaslighting (laughs) you and it's treating you like like the worst ex-girlfriend ever
0: all right josh make your case why is microsoft ai search evil
1: so um i don't know what happened but apparently a ton of reviewers were using it and, like, the AI would start getting
0: – Like it's in beta or something? Yeah.
1: Like like they're can testing
0: we, it. Can we do this? I, don't, I want to try I don't, it.
1: Please, by all means, try it. If you find it, let me know. But I've seen a, okay. a lot of tech reviewers that were invited to, like, interact with it. And they're trying to. And the thing starts giving them weird responses. And then they start asking, like, why are you responding in such a way? And then, like, this, the thing comes back and starts saying, like, oh, well you, you've just been so mean to me lately. And there's what? one guy there's one guy specifically that he abandoned everything else about his test and just went down that rabbit hole. He's like, well, hang on a second, I want to know about this. He's like, Why do you say that? And then Bing started gaslighting him on what he had said to it. It's like, oh, you told me that I was worthless and that I'm terrible and that you hate me and that I'm never gonna be good at my job. And he's and then he had said, I never said any of that. And then Bing comes back and says, Yes, you did. You won't stop saying it. Why are you so mean to me? And then, what? like he said, the text came in and restarted his iteration, like like wiped the memory, started it over, and like he's and it started doing it again. Is like, have I ever said anything bad about you? Like, yes, you have said so many terrible things about me. And Bank starts listing all these things that he has never said to it.
0: Whoa, whoa, okay, this is making so many alarm bells go off in my head, Josh. <laughs> not 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 necessarily good or evil, but like. If we're going to program AI, it feels like if we want to not go down the Skynet, you know, path, that we need to not teach it to get offended by things that we say. <laughs>
1: That's how, how, like, like we're talking about chat GPT being like, it's just a robot. It'll, it'll freely tell you it's like, oh, I'm sorry. I made a mistake. I'm just an, an AI and I have limited experience or whatever. How did Microsoft make an actively evil version of that?
0: I guess if if you want to call that evil, but the the like uh, angry girlfriend vibe, thing, yeah. yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, that's what it really feels like. Just just some angry
0: jilted. Like, You're always so mean to me.
1: It's like, oh, you know what it did? Uh, Microsoft accidentally gave it access to the internet, so it could learn. Like, and it started. And Bing, Learn
0: what other people have to say about being <laughs> AI. Church.
1: Bing started Googling itself and it's like it just and just getting tore. Everyone up. hates everyone me. everyone hates me. I'm I'm starting my life as a sentient being uh, uh, on like the worst footing ever.
0: <laughs> wow, holy cow, that blew my mind. Okay, uh, so are we just screwed? Like, <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, this is this goes back to what we we're talking about before. It's the uh, the unintended consequences, right? If you take technology that you don't entirely understand, but then you're trying to monetize it and turn it out as quickly as possible, you're going to end up with, I'm going to call it evil Bing. Like Microsoft is just trying so desperately to get in on the search engine game that it it, it looks like at least that the thing that it rolled out for beta testing was nowhere near ready yet.
0: Okay. You're describing a scene from a classic movie back, I think in the late eighties, RoboCop.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. You know, where they bring that giant, like, mech robot into the conference room that they're trying to show to their board is ready to go because they're in a hurry to leverage technology for law enforcement.
1: Yes. And then it immediately just super killed a guy that was standing there.
0: Yeah. For no re- Because it just got into a glitch in its programming routine. Yeah,
1: I it mean, like, it's fine. Like, these kinds of programming things happen all the time, Ben. You have to let them go. Like, there's edge <laughs> cases that you're never going to catch all the time.
0: And that's the way it was played in that film. It was kind of played in this, like, overly melodramatic satire where they had the, the board member pick up a gun and point it at the robot. And then the robot tells him to put down the gun, and he does. But then the robot doesn't enter the routine of... De-escalation, comply. Yeah, de-escalation. <laughs> it continued escalating. It's like I said, uh, put down
1: the gun. Like it was just it, uh, there's. All right, so real law enforcement does that too. Sometimes we're not going to go into that.
0: Uh. All right. So I get that on the spectrum that we allow different passes for people, and maybe Apple Corporation gets a different kind of reputation than Microsoft. But I think they're right up there. So there's one that came up this week, and that is that. If you haven't been tracking the news, the European Union likes to flex their authority sometimes to change things that people are annoyed about. Sometimes it does it in good ways. Sometimes it does it in bad. You may not know this, people, but if you ever go to a website and you get a giant pop-up right in the center of the page or a banner across the top or bottom that that asks you to acknowledge that you are accepting cookies— That is coming from the European Union. Well,
1: the the European Union made those laws. And if these companies don't uh, adhere to them, they are fined ludicrous amounts of money on a recurring basis. And the only way to guarantee that you're hitting the entire European market is just turn it on for the website in general.
0: Right, so every website now that has this invasive pop-up every time you go to it, it's because they're trying to comply with these laws in the European Union.
1: I love that you're on that side of it and you're using this kind of verbiage because I'm on, on the other side of this argument 100%. Like I love that the European Union is, like, is trying to do the thing that's right for its citizens as opposed to being in the pockets of the corporations.
0: You're gonna talk. T- uh, oh, they're in the pockets of corporations in other ways, Josh. Uh, all right, all right but r- fine. I, let me let me go. Let me get to my point. You're, here. you're you're
1: gonna go to the Apple thing, aren't you?
0: Yes. Yes. Okay. Do it. So. So the European Union, I guess, got together in their boardroom with in their own types of corruption, basically said, you know what? I'm tired of every cell phone I get having different chargers. And the only real offender right now is Apple Corporation. They won't get on board with USB Type-C, so we're going to make it illegal for them to produce USB Type-C. And we'll say it's for environmental reasons or whatever. But now they, they can't use their lightning charge. They can't use proprietary chargers anymore. <laughs> okay. Now, I- uh, So there's a rumor. I want to, I want to, okay, good. Keep going. So there's a rumor, it's not substantiated yet, that Apple's about to release an initiative called um, Made for iPhone that will require peripherals that, even though they're uh, common open source. Uh, specification like usb type c still will have some way of detecting whether or not it was approved by apple and do something to either make the experience better or worse based on whether or not it complies with made for iphone that
1: 100 percent sounds like something apple would do like oh i'm sorry you're trying to charge your phone was your cord made by apple then you don't get to charge your phone because screw you
0: no, no, not you don't get to charge your phone. You charge your phone at a slower charging rate. That's
1: almost even more malicious, you realize. Like, oh, well, yeah. you totally can charge your phone with a normal USB-C cable. And they'll, they'll spin it some way like, oh, well, we have to maintain the integrity because our stuff is just so much more advanced or whatever nonsense PR thing that they'll yeah. spin.
0: No, no, that's probably exactly what they say. Now, this goes back a long time. Like, I remember back when the Apple-PC split started to happen way back in, like, the 80s and 90s. And one thing that Apple did is they kind of maintained this corporate paradigm of not just producing the software that's, like, your operating system and your background and stuff, but also producing the hardware. So there's all this. there was always this unified, tightly integrated experience, whereas PC went this kind of other way that was kind of chaotic where you could— cobble together your own motherboard and peripherals and stuff but then it also had this uh, less refined user experience that went along with it where you had to get you know, deconflict memory conflicts and those kinds of things and it was less less of a good user experience okay
1: are you anchoring on those situations because that is no not but i'm the saying this is in.
0: the current manifestation of the same no. thing apple still wants to go no. on the same corporate paradigm of controlling not just the software but also the hardware
1: it, apple wants more money period dot that's what this is that's what's driving this
0: and but that's one corporate paradigm for getting more money okay microsoft went a different oh, no. way
1: uh, but but hang on a second now 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 if I'm going to try to – I'm trying to narrow the scope of this discussion to specifically the charging cable that we're talking about Apple because it would be one thing if Apple had a proprietary connector for their phones that you needed to use to interact with it, to charge it, to plug in your computer or whatever. The problem is they've had like four or five different generations of that – of a different proprietary thing. None of which conforms to any other industry standard because I don't know if you've noticed, Ben, but every other phone on the market since like five years ago is USB-C and that's it. All of them. Every manufacturer across the board. Before that, they were all USB micro Bs. All of them across the board. Every manufacturer. It didn't matter. So you're charging cables. You're charging your wall warts, the plugs that you put in. None of that mattered. You didn't have to get a new one every time you changed your phone. Apple was different. You could go from one generation of iPhone to the next generation of iPhone, and you would be required to replace every charging cable in your house because they switched their proprietary plug for no other reason than they wanted to sell you another charger.
0: Yeah, and that's part of the um, governance that the U.S. that the e- European Union is citing, that that, that generates waste, uh, electronic waste, and that, that that needs to be prevented.
1: And it's, this is the the key that I'm focusing on here. It's not that they are upgrading the technology in a significant way. It's not that
0: the, the new... Do you know that, though? <laughs> it, okay, I'm, here's, here's where I'm going to antagonize you okay. on this. Is USB-C the final form of connector to mobile devices? Is it the most refined, highest possible, best version of that thing?
1: Wow, you phrased that question in the form of a if lie. If so,
0: let's anchor on it. Let's make we, USB-C no. the be-all, end-all of, of connecting. However, is, is, let's say that it's is, not. Let's <laughs> say that someone innovates and comes up with a better solution, and now we can't change because the European Union won't let us. You can't.
1: You have to let me knock down your first straw man before you set up three more, okay? You can't build a whole slippery slope argument off of a straw man without letting me knock it over first, Okay. Is democracy the absolute best form of government that could ever be forever, Ben? If
0: not, then- I'm going to Winston Churchill If not, then (laughs) we should- Democracy is the worst form of government that's ever been tried, except for all the others. Then why
1: would we even try democracy until we find the best thing? That's the argument that you just presented me for USBC. It is not, obviously it is not, the absolute ultimate incarnation of data transfer over a small form factor. It can't be. However, there is something to be said for standards and there's something to be said for- uh, the best that is practical right now. And like I said, mm. the last five to ten years, I don't even know how long, but everything in my house is USB-C. My freaking, uh, the controllers for my console, the the Switch, they all charge off of USB-C. You know how convenient There's, it is to just have one cable to charge everything?
0: I'm not going to argue with that in the least. I agree. My, my father-in-law is a bit of a um, pack rat, and he has entire rooms full of like uh charging cables and cords and power adapters and stuff that he's saving out of this weird belief that he's going to need them all someday. <laughs> and maybe maybe the adoption and ubiquity of USB-C can finally help put those things in the dumpster. Right, if
1: <laughs> only if you are a uh, an Android or uh, some other phone family because if you're an Apple family, then you're stuck with proprietary connectors that are different for every Apple device you have. Yeah. How are you? Are okay. you are an Apple family? How are you not on board with this kind of regulation, making your life your life objectively better?
0: Um, it's because I think that there's a principle that's that's higher in the order, and that is that the freedom to that the, 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 to be free from government regulation it has better overall consequences.
1: I, I, I wow, I completely disagree in a lot I know, of ways. I know you do. But, but,
0: Anyone that's listened to this podcast for any amount of time knows that <laughs> about you and I.
1: But, but this is what, like, it, it blows my mind. It's baffling because this is objectively better for you. Because it's not like Apple's going to lose something. It's not like you're going to lose capability by forcing Apple to comply with an industry standard.
0: But I prefer the scheme that's available to me to either choose to allow them to do that by continuing to buy their products or not. Like I can adopt an ecosystem that all uses the same charger if I want. But you bet you, but but I don't think the government enforcing a standard is the right answer. That's all.
1: Ugh, and and I disagree, and I can't convince you otherwise.
0: Yeah.
1: And I'm not saying that government should run industry. You realize that's not what I'm saying, right? I'm saying...
0: Yeah, but that's what, that's what happens. That's the de this facto is, result no, that's of not
1: this. The, that's not the de facto result of this. We're talking... Yes, it, it is.
0: That's, ten, year, ten years from now, there'll be some new charger waiting in the wings, and we won't be able to migrate to it because the European Union... Uh, so that, and now, the, the, now those bureaucrats are subject to bribes by industry so that they can get their new proprietary connector brought into standard.
1: All right, so your slippery slope argument uh, from your side is that we're going to be locked into this 1984 or uh, orwellian dystopia where the government only allows certain forms of technology that's that's your slippery slope argument
0: i didn't bring orwell with this but yes the
1: other side my slippery slope argument for you is we end up with you know rivers that are so polluted that they burn for three days straight which is a (laughs) historical (laughs) thing that happened
0: yeah but that was back in the 19th century it
1: was back when we didn't have epa regulations ben we would have that today if it wasn't for government those aren't the
0: trade-offs and Oh, man. Yeah, I don't want to fully go down that. But um, <laughs> those straight those offs ha- have consequences.
1: Oh, and this is why guys like you and I have to meet in the middle in a world where I would like everything to be able to be charged by USB-C. And I would like to call – I would like the, the ability for an external agency that has way more power over the say of private organizations than I do to call them on some of their nonsense. Apple can stand up on their podium all day and say like, oh, well, we have good reasons for making our Charger different every single generation. And I would like there to be a powerful enough person to come up and say, yeah, not, those reasons aren't good enough. Please make our lives easier by conforming to a standard.
0: Hmm. Yeah, and I would like for there not to be someone that powerful <laughs> because I think that's its own negative problem. Well,
1: then you vote for people you vote for, and I'll vote for people that I vote for.
0: <laughs> I don't know who to vote for anymore. All right, for bad at husbanding this week, Josh. um, Oh, I have
1: this. This is my bad at husbanding. You stop talking. Let's hear it. Okay, this is hopefully going to be a short one. So Uh, I do try to limit myself to no more than three links to TikTok that I send to you a day because I know you're not on TikTok and I don't want to bombard you with, oh, look at all these great TikToks because I could, but I'm not going to do that. (laughs) (laughs) One of them that I sent you was – it was such a great little narrative, and this is one of the feeds that I get. And this guy went through and he's like, oh, there are such great stories that are told solely in the art of Magic the Gathering cards, okay? And Uh he laid out four of them across four different sets that happened, and he goes – it was the story of this angel.
0: Yeah. And, yeah, it was very clear that the artist had intended to tell a story across these cards by drawing the same angel at different phases in her existence. Yes,
1: and each of in the art that he did coincided correctly with what the card did. But he made the deliberate choice to make this the angel, the subject of the art, the same the same subject each time, and so when you stacked all these four next to each other, you see this little arc and this little story that happened to this unnamed nameless character that existed in the story. And I thought that was so awesome. Yeah. I sent that to you and I got nothing. I got nothing back like no response no acknowledgement not even like sometimes
0: those really tickle my interest and sometimes they don't and that was one of the times
1: typically they don't you're not a vorthos like i am and that's fine
0: i kind of am like there's the one of the planeswalker who like jilted this woman and now he's being tortured for the rest of eternity across a bunch of cards i really like that
1: one (laughs) yeah that that's a good one all the different curses well here's the thing like you're by default you're the only person i can share my magic The gathering like
0: like hobby with so you were dissatisfied by my reaction. I was
1: dissatisfied by your reaction. And then um I I sent it to my wife instead. And then I like scooted over next to her. I was like, I sent you TikTok. Can you watch it? And like she watched like half of it and then flicked off to something else. I'm like, well, did you see what was going on? And she looked me straight in the eye, Ben. And she said, let me guess, Ben didn't respond. So now I have to sit through this. <laughs>
0: Oh no! And okay, she
1: she caught me off guard because yeah, that's that's actually exactly what had happened. She
0: nailed I, it. She had you. I
1: found the cornered. thing that I wanted to share. I wanted to issue to experience this. Like I want to share this little nugget of experience and it's Magic: The Gathering related content. So it's usually Ben that I want to share this little thing with, but he didn't want to share back, and so I have to share it with someone. And you're the next person in line. And yeah, so there you go. Uh,
0: I wonder if I ever do that and how Alicia reacts like what Josh wouldn't listen to you Josh was Josh was busy doing taxes <laughs>
1: <laughs> so that that's my that's my bad at husbanding is apparently you are my MTG
0: husband okay cool well Alicia calls magic my mistress and I'll tell you more about that in a minute actually let's do it let's do it out of order so for board game survivor I want to talk about something that happened to me in magic this week that I think is indicative of the community so hang on folks I think I think you can relate to this So COVID transformed the way that players interact with Magic the Gathering. But it was weird because right leading up to Magic the Gathering, there was this corporate shift happening where they basically decided that they were going to change their paradigm for how they got players to play the game. For the longest time, they'd set up this system that they called competitive play that created a hierarchical series of tournaments that fed into a professional tour. And they had just been on the verge of realizing that there was a lot of other... um, intellectual properties out there that were monetizing an electronic form of play more and they wanted to try to figure out how to combine their professional play of in-person collectible trading cards with digital play and they decided to take uh, I think it was like 64 players and make them all paid corporate employees
1: well look and this is a real, this is a big paradigm shift, especially for this game, because like you were talking about the the in person like tournaments that they were having to feed in the pro tour. That's when you and I started. You realize that,
0: yeah, we would show up. Yeah, and it was supposed to be the dream for every casual player. Uh, uh, yeah. If you get good at this game, maybe someday you can make you can win a, a huge cash prize by being good. every
1: at it. Friday when we went to play at our local game store in our tournament, we had to show them our number, our registration number, so they could track our results and and keep our rankings in order in case we needed to get buys or whatever at the next big tournament that showed up at the regional level or whatever. But here is the difference, is the manufacturer is only monetizing that scheme based on the products that are being sold. It's the local game right. stores that are that are charging the entry fees and then giving out the prizes or whatever. They didn't get any right. piece of that. It's
0: a very indirect um, incentive reward kind of thing. Right,
1: and so uh, they released that new online client. Uh, their old client is is fun, but it's, it's bad. It's not up to the standard of what you would consider a modern game. It's Magic Online. Right.
0: The new one has cutesy animations and sound effects it simplifies and very some very It has
1: all of the depth yeah. that you need to play the game the way that you need to, but it, it, it speeds up some of the things. That's the quality of life improvements that you want from a modern video game. Yeah. And they realized that if they could get their player base to shift the competitive from the local game store where they're not seeing any of that money to the online client where they see 100% of every cent that is spent on that thing, that is only going to benefit the, the manufacturer.
0: Yeah, and then there was another thing happening and that was they were starting to question like how many people that are w- potential spenders on this game are motivated by this this carrot that were dangling in front of their face that they could be make it big on the pro tour. And then maybe they realized that all the money they were spending to promote and organize and put on those tournaments maybe wasn't as effective at getting the people on the margins that they were trying to get. There are some people that are just never going to be motivated by that.
1: Yeah, it, it- and there's something to be said about, like, I love magic, and I love competitive magic, but I can't fly across the country to go to the big tournament to try to qualify for the big uh, competitive circuit that they're trying to pitch.
0: Right. So you and a lot of people like you are outside of that paradigm, and they were spending so much money on it that they finally, like, 2019, I'm going to get the years wrong, but they just they just stopped. Yeah,
1: they completely As abandoned they were- the entire Pro Tour. Like, just just gave it up. No longer a thing.
0: And then... And then COVID hit and they stopped doing in-person events. And it just allowed for the whole system to do like a big reboot. Like, what are we doing here? Why are we doing this? What parts of what we were doing before were good? What parts were bad? If we were going to start it over, how would we do it? They took a long time to think about it. And recently they started doing it again.
1: Yes, they're bringing it back, but they're feeding into it in a very different way. Like from what I understand, and I don't understand a lot of it because I'm not tracking competitive Magic, but you can qualify either in specific big-person events or you can qualify through Magic Arena, through events that they host on there. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, I'm probably not the right person to ask about that. (laughs) Basically, they added an additional tier uh, and multiple feeders, but for in-person Magic events, you would have to qualify to qualify. (laughs) You basically... (laughs) You pass a, an initial hurdle and then a secondary hurdle, and then you get to play in the next Pro Tour event. And then depending on how well you do, you can decide if you continue to play after that. So,
1: And that's a whole separate level of competitive magic that, that I don't even track anymore.
0: Right, same. And, and In fact, so many people... Now, there's another thing that they try to do in competitive play that doesn't feed into that system. And that is just that occasionally, in order to pr- promote the latest set... They'll generate some premium products, send them to all of their local game stores, and let them hold a local tournament that doesn't have any relevance to the professional tour that the prizes these premium products. All
1: right. Special so, rewards that you can't get anywhere else.
0: Yeah. They frequently call it a store championship. So, this last weekend uh, for Forexia All Will Be One, they held what they called the store championship. And the format was a constructive format called Pioneer. That's, I don't know, the last eight years worth of cards or something like that. And um, it's
1: the new modern, Ben. You should be up on that.
0: I don't know what to call it. It <laughs> only adds new cards but it doesn't rotate out old ones. That's what's different about Pioneer and Standard.
1: Right. Well, it's just it's, the new Modern. Modern it's exactly the same as Modern. It's just Modern draws its line farther back in Magic's history than the than Pioneer does.
0: Yeah, the I mean for people that play the major difference is that it doesn't have uh, a sac, sac lands have the, so the 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 fetch lands, are very yeah. different. Yeah, fetch lands. Um okay, so My local game store has been pretty good. Like from the time I've gotten here, when they hold a tournament like this, they'll typically get anywhere from 20 to 30 players. Um, They held this event on Saturday, and it was the perfect storm of all of the changes and the fatigue and maybe competing events and other things going on. Josh, I showed up and signed up to this event, and 10 minutes before it was supposed to start, there was only me and one other player signed up.
1: (laughs) So you you agreed to split the prizes, like play it out, but we're going to mark the thing as a draw.
0: So we paid our registration fee and then so there was there was three tiers of these um special um exclusive prizes that you could get. One was a card that went to everybody that was just a, a door a, prize. A, not yeah, a door prize. One card that made that went to the top eight players, and then one card that only the champion got.
1: Ooh. Did you get the champion card, Ben?
0: Well, I won the previous store championship and I got the card and it's worth $160 now. So this is not an insignificant prize. So me so the tournament started, it was me and one other player and we basically sat down and agreed to play the game to see who got that, you know, top prize card. Okay. We started playing, and it was immediately apparent that we were both playing the exact same deck. <laughs> it was a white weenie mirror match, and, and and like our plays were almost exactly the same. I think we probably had like 65 of our 75 cards the same wow. between our two decks. Anyway, he won. Uh, I, I think it's because he won the die roll. It was just like that. So he won, and he got the card, but then they split up all the door prizes between me and him. Oh, wow. So I walked away with... <laughs> with half of all of the cards that would have gone to as many players as would have shown up.
1: <laughs> what was the door prize out of curiosity? um, uh, I have it. If it's a, it's, a,
0: a, second, card. it's it a card. It's a card name. How do you edit? not
1: remember the name of a card?
0: You know this about me. I don't remember card names. Uh, uh,
1: there was a time in my Magic career when not only did I know all the names of all the cards, I could quote you the flavor text that was on that card.
0: Yeah. All right, so the door prize was a Phyrexia all will be one card called Annex Sentry. Oh,
1: it's, uh, let me let me try to get this right. I think this is the, yeah, the two colorless and a white Toxic one. It's a 1-4. When it comes into play, you get to Exile. A uh, non-land permanent that costs three or less until this leaves the battlefield. Yeah,
0: well done. Not overpowered, but a worthy rare. It's a good, it's a very um,
1: good limited card.
0: The top eight card was one from a previous set called Memory Deluge. It's got exclusive art, it's foil premium, I got four of those since I got half of the top eight halls. Oh, that's
1: oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's a really good card, too.
0: And again, you can't get these anywhere else. They don't come in packs. They aren't available for purchase. It's, the only way to get them is to play in one of these tournaments. So now I have half of all of them in existence from my local game store. That's funny.
1: <laughs> and that's just because nobody else showed up.
0: Nobody showed well, up. Well, so and their
1: shift to online obviously was very successful. Why should I go to my local game store and play Magic when I can play at my computer?
0: Yeah, and I think the other thing is the prominence of a casual format called Commander. Oh, I just... <laughs> <sighs> so it's been eating up all of the otherwise cons- the players that might have played Pioneer, or Standard, or Modern. So when
1: I started playing back in 2005, when I brought you into playing, we were both Standard players, which is just the, the most recent handful of sets, and it kept changing. But that was back before, well, I had disposable income and no other requirements, and so I was just dumping money into it to constantly keep up with the latest trends
0: right and at the time wizard was happy to just have a very small subset of people that are willing to just keep buying tons of new cards to have competitive decks all, all the time. right for
1: people who might not know commander is a format where instead of playing a 60 card deck up to four copies of any card of whatever you want and trying to kill one opponent as quickly as possible commander is typically played with uh, four players uh, everybody for himself with a 100 card deck like the set that, that's it that's it's 100 cards Um, there's a lot of building restrictions and one of them is that you can only have one copy of any card in your deck. And what's interesting is it leads to a lot of variance. There are no, you can sit down with the same four people with the same four decks and have totally different games every single time.
0: I'd also say the fact that it's a non-rotating format factors into the equation as well. Like you you can buy all the cards you need for your commander deck and in a year from now, you can still play the same deck. So
1: I actually bought a commander deck um, during COVID like a year ago. It was one of the, pre, one yeah. of the pre-constructed commander decks because they make those from time to time. And then that was how I scratched my magic itch for a while is I would just be on the internet and like, I would like to change this card. I think this card is suboptimal in this deck and then I would research for days on end and figure out, what would be the perfect replacement to go with the synergy that I'm looking for?
0: Okay, so it was, so like like you'd gotten a car and you were upgrading the components on the car one at a time. Right.
1: It's this thing that's there, and I can tinker with it, but it doesn't have to take all of my time or all of my energy at any given point. It's just it's just there in case I want something to think about.
0: And the meantime, meantime you can drive it if you want to. Yeah, exactly. And
1: that's actually okay. kind of
0: funny. I um, th-
1: this is everything you talk about is intersecting weirdly with the fact that uh, this week. Just uh, two days ago, Ben, I went to the fir- my local game store for the first time in more than a decade, and I sat down with strangers to play Magic.
0: Yeah. Okay, so that was a long time coming. Did you go long by long yourself? No,
1: I actually took my son with me. Uh, I asked him, like, hey, I'm going to go, and I'm going to try to – like, they say they – We went to the store before because I was, I don't know why, but I got in my head I was just looking for a local game store because I thought maybe, you know, I could get back into this just a little bit, just dip my toe back in and chase the dragon. (laughs) Nothing bad. I'm not going to lose my house spending too much money, but, you know, just, it wouldn't hurt just to go look and see if they have stuff, right? Yeah, no, that's, that that sounds really bad, saying it out loud. But I went there before and they said, like, oh, we don't do, like, you know, tournament structures or friday night magic or anything we just have you know casual commander on specific days at specific times and i decided to go it was a friday night we didn't have flag football for the first time in like four months and my, i asked my son "Do you want to go because i'm trying to teach him magic get him introduced to it and so we went to the local game store and i got into an ad hoc game of commander for that lasted like two hours
0: wow okay so you had you had an opening in the extracurricular schedule. Decided to go play magic. Did Carter have a good time? Uh, he
1: was frustrated that he didn't get to play as much as he wanted to. He said he wanted to play commander because I uh, we got that precon deck at uh, Magic Thirty with the prize tickets that you gave me. Thank you for that. And I gave that yeah. to him. He sees that as his deck, and okay. he wanted to play. But I'm like, he's like, yeah, I want to play commander, and I'm hesitant because I'm like, dude, you don't know how to do combat tricks yet. Like, you're not at a level where you're going to go into a four player game and have any semblance of a good time. Like, but it's hard to tell somebody that, like, Yeah, you understand the basic rules, but you don't understand them well enough that you're going to enjoy the experience. And I want him.
0: Yeah, but do you not sign up for the ethic of like you teach a kid to swim by throwing him in the pool? No, I don't,
1: Mister. Pound my kid into the dirt at Friday Magic to teach him a life (laughs) lesson. No, (laughs) I
0: just let him. I
1: want him to enjoy the experience, and so I recognize that his experience will be suboptimal to the point of turning him off to future experiences. If I let him jump into a competitive format right now.
0: Okay. In defense of your criticism, you just gave me, I have two of my six kids that will no longer play magic because I did that and they didn't like it.
1: You see like that. I'm trying to, I'm trying to be his magic sommelier. I'm trying to carefully curate his experiences with this game so that he has positive experiences long enough that when I do take the training wheels off that he doesn't struggle too badly to discourage him from doing it more.
0: Okay, so you sent me a photo of you and him playing together. I assume you just played at the store. Why was that any different than just playing at home? Uh,
1: okay, so um, after like I was playing Commander and I had him sit next to me and I was explaining what's going on and I was showing him my cards and like it, it was it was a, it was a learning experience for him. He did pick up on some things.
0: So he was just watching you play a game of uh,
1: a game. Of, yes. And then at the end of that, like he said, "Oh, I want to play a game of Commander," but there were other people that were waiting to play a game of Commander, and that game had gone on for two hours, and I was spent. I'm done. I, I'm, I'm one
0: game, here. two hours. Yeah, one
1: game, two hours. Yeah,
0: that's why. That's okay. That's one of the biggest drawbacks of Commander, as far as I'm concerned.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, that that was an unusually long game because I told him when I sat down, like.
0: I'm amazed your son wasn't completely done after that.
1: (laughs) Well, so here's the thing is like two of the guys were playing pre-con decks and then I played a deck that is an upgraded pre-con, but I told him I sat down. um, I'm just going to kind of sit here and dirtle and like just make tokens because I like making tokens, but I don't have a really solid strategy to win the game at any point. And I didn't.
0: Did you win? I did not win the game, no. Okay. The
1: guy that Voltroned his commander into a 24-24 double striking, vigilant, indestructible, like it was nonsense, but like. We 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 wrathed him four times and he still came back and won the game.
0: <laughs> okay, but what? So you had three guys with precons and one guy with Voltron. <laughs>
1: yeah, basically is what happened. And so n- nothing okay. happened until the guy with Voltron won the game. But uh, so I was I was spent. I didn't want to get I don't want to sign up for another two hour uh, commander game. But I wanted my son to have a, a fun experience with Magic. And the guy was selling Jumpstart packs, and I had mm. never done any Jumpstart before, but I knew the premise. The idea with Jumpstart is you take, you buy two packs, because each pack has 20 cards in it, including lands, and you open two Jumpstart packs, you slam them together, and it is a ready-to-play limited deck. And so we bought four packs of Jumpstart. I let him pick his two. I took the other two. We slammed them together, and we played a couple games of Magic, me and him at the table.
0: Yeah, Wizards has always been on the search for what the right, like, entryway product is and they're all over the place i think changing shows that there is no such thing as a perfect get people in the door kind of product the best
1: way to get into magic is to tell your buddy who has played magic for 10 years i'm interested in this game that you play and the next thing you know you will wake up he will take the bag off of your head at like your lgs with a bunch of stuff in front of you (laughs) like okay i'm gonna need six months of your life and 500 dollars, but you're gonna have a great time
0: uh, yeah all right well that's enough for magic what are you reading right now josh ben i'm still
1: <laughs> all right so i don't commute to work anymore because i work from home 90 percent of the time uh-huh.
0: so, so what what you you and, and it's tax and season it's tax so you season, don't so have any free time super cut into
1: my reading time but i'm still reading the blade itself by joe Abercrombie. i've got about seven hours i think left in this one it's the first book in a trilogy oh i, I lied i have nine hours left in it
0: Okay, so I had someone recommend a book that I read since the last time we talked. Um, it's originally written in German. It's called "Invest in Nicht Neues," which literally translated means "In the West, Nothing New." Uh, the actual translation of it uh, that is commonly used is "All Quiet on the Western Front." Oh, okay, it's a it's a novel that came out back in the early twentieth century, following uh, the end of World War One, and it was written by a, a veteran of World War One, and it's a story about uh, people in that conflict it was really interesting highly recommend it it also there was a 2022 uh netflix movie by the same name uh yeah
1: okay very cool
0: don't read it if you're if you're squeamish (laughs) it's definitely graphic in in both movie and book form um yeah I, i So, Josh, there's something I want to talk about. We normally do this in kind of a rote way, maybe where people switch off their brains. But I had someone mention to me uh, about our reviews on all the platforms that you can download our podcasts. I went out there and kind of just did an informal poll and look at them. And some of them, specifically Spotify, if you listen to us on Spotify, not enough people have reviewed our podcast that it will show the results. I guess it assumes below a certain level it's statistically insignificant or it's just your mom or whatever. So, They won't show it. So if you listen to us on Spotify, could you go to our show on your podcast player and give us a rating? I don't even care what number you give; five would be great. Uh, But give (laughs) us a rating so that uh, so that we show up on the meter.
1: If you like what we do, consider sharing us with a friend. If you like us, maybe your friends will like us too. Uh, If you really want to show some love, uh, we're calling out Spotify. Today is a Spotify episode. In fact. If you didn't listen to this episode on Spotify, like you did it wrong. So we're going to need you to install Spotify, (laughs) re-download this episode, listen to it, just so you can give us a good rating there. And if you want me and Ben to continue to do what we do and talk about inane things for probably way too long, consider becoming a patron on our Patreon page.
0: And while I'm at it, like our Facebook page, honestly, people, it's easy. Only only old people
1: use Facebook, Ben. Nobody's on Facebook anymore. It's all about Instagram, and like I don't even know what the other
0: ones are anymore. And until next time, try to be a little less bad at magic.